Today's episode of Something to Wrestle With is brought to you by SaveWithBruce.com. Now, by now, you already know that SaveWithBruce.com is the place to go to get a cheaper monthly payment. And I'm talking to you if you're stuck with a second mortgage, maybe some credit card debt, maybe you've got a car payment you'd like to get rid of. SaveWithBruce.com makes it fast and easy. Now, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. You just need a couple of minutes right now at SaveWithBruce.com. And four quick clicks, man, you're saving tens of thousands of dollars. We can help you cut years off of your loan and even get you into a brand new house with no money down. That's right. I'm talking to you. If you're a renter, after all these payments, what do you have to show for it? Get something for your family with First Family. Your new house payment, it's going to be less than your current rent. You couldn't even go find another apartment that cheap. You'd have to pay your first month's rent, your last month's rent, and a security deposit. But we can get you in a house with no money down. Find out how easy it is to become a homeowner or pay your house off faster or save five, six, seven, even $800 a month at SaveWithBruce.com right now. That's SaveWithBruce.com, NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Welcome to Something to Wrestle With. Something to Wrestle With. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. What a rip. No, you have a big There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. It, it, it. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I ain't scared of shit. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck him. Q Bruce. Ah, Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle With, Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? I am absolutely excellent. Uh, hell, we can complain, but nobody would listen to us. Well, they are not going to be complaining in Pittsburgh. We're coming to see you, Pittsburgh! It's been quite a journey to make this one happen, but Sunday, July 15th, at the uh, former Club Diesel in downtown Pittsburgh, it's newly remodeled and named Foxtail. That's right. Bruce Pritchard or Foxtail sounds like rumor and innuendo from his hiatus back in the day, uh, but he'll be having different types of activities here. Pick up tickets right now at BrucePritchard.com. This is going to sell out. Not a huge venue. Come see us. It's our first trip ever to Pittsburgh. Bruce, I've never been to Pittsburgh. You're going to like Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is a fun city, and I have spent many Many an evening there with the world-famous WWE attorney, Jerry McDivitt, who is from Pittsburgh and his uh, law firm, Kirkpatrick & Lockhart, is Pittsburgh. That's their home. But I've had a whole hell of a lot of fun in that city with uh, Mr. McDivitt. I hope hope, I'm going to extend the invitation anyway. I hope McDivitt comes out to the show. That would be a guest of all guests. That is the... That's the guest of all guests. I mean, can you imagine it would be like a real deposition? It would be just the facts, ma'am. I think it's like pulling teeth to get you to fucking answer. No, McDivitt, McDivitt is quite engaging and, and probably because he knows the stories he can tell. Obviously knows the ones that he can't, but he would be, he's always entertaining in his answers nonetheless. Well, we can't say that Jerry's going to be there, but Bruce no. and I are. Pick up tickets right now. Sunday, July 15th. They're available now at BrucePritchard.com, downtown Pittsburgh, just before the WWE pay-per-view. 
I feel like we should also mention this. We've had to expand and we've actually got more seats available now at the house of blues on June 16th in Chicago. So if you're planning to go see NXT and then to come see us, you don't have to pick, you can do both. You can do both. I want to reiterate, you can do both. We're not going to start the show until you get there. Roll tide. But we've can got, they do both? we got both, man. I get that question a lot. Like, can we do both? I don't want to have to pick. You can do both, but we've just released more tickets. So if you checked earlier this week and it said sold out because hashtag humble brag, that's what we do. Uh, we have made more tickets available. Tickets are also available for July 7th in Rochester at comedy at the Carlston. And I guess we should also say here, August 18th, our number one market, Gramercy theater, New York city. We were in Brooklyn this past January. This is our last New York appearance of 2018. We'll be back next year for WrestleMania. I'm sure, but we don't have a venue booked then, but we do right now. Gramercy theater, August 18th. It's your SummerSlam weekend. And it's a who's who of people who might show up at that. Pick up your tickets at brucepritchard.com. And I feel like we should, uh, we should mention that we're getting lots of good feedback on last week's episode about brother love. It was our 100th special anniversary episode. We released a bonus episode the very next day for the 1992 Royal rumble. But the big news to me was the website STGSTW. What was the feedback you got from that crazy creation from Greg Gunner? I think that the majority of the people that went there had the exact same reaction that I had. What in the hell? And it's, it's blown away because the fact that this guy spent this much time putting this together and it's a gift for our audience. And, uh, it's a way to say thank you. And thank you, Greg, because I'm still blown away that you put this thing together. STGSTW.com. Go check it out. If you haven't already, it's STGSTW.com. And of course, everybody was talking about Starcast. Go check it out. If you haven't already, it's S T A R R C A S T.com. Tickets went on sale this week, Bruce. VIP sold out in like seven or eight minutes. Uh, Silver sold out in about a half an hour. As we're taping this, there's only a handful of golden tickets left. I guess we should briefly run down the events, and then we're going to get to your What have you gotten me into, Conrad? Well, I've got you in a Monday Night War debate with Eric Bischoff on Thursday, August 30th. Uh, And then I've, I've got you, believe it or not, doing some other silliness surprise the roast of bruce pritchard and we can't announce the roasters not happy about that uh, well use your imagination this is going to be a good time man there's even rumor and innuendo that there might be something on tna being put together and tna is sort of the uh, topic that put our show on the map and i can't imagine that people need more but maybe they do what do you think about tna round three i mean you, you got your shovel handy Absolutely. And I'm going to be throwing dirt on Jeff Jarrett. Uh, he'll be there live and in person. And I'm looking forward to that. The funny thing is, is I think that Jeff and I would probably agree on a lot of that, but I'm ready and loaded for bear. That's for damn sure. We've got a botch mania elite karaoke with Marty Skrull, uh, a war games retrospective, keeping it 100 with Conan, uh, the death of WCW panel head to head with uh, Eric Bischoff an empty arena match retrospective with Terry Funk and Jerry Lawler. So much silliness. Go check it out right now. Starcast.com. That's two R's in Starcast. Let's get to it, man. We've been shilling long enough. Let's talk about the British Bulldog. Uh the Davy Boy Smith was born on November twenty seventh, nineteen sixty two in Manchester, England. 
Of course, he, like a lot of kids over there, I'm sure did some rugby action, but he also did amateur wrestling, but he knew very early in life that he wanted to be a professional wrestler. He even started training at just 12 years old and turned pro around 15. Um, it's sort of a, an interesting time to talk about wrestling in England because, you know, I think there's become this fascination in the most recent handful of years, especially with the UK tournament they did on WWE network. I think the only big, you know, English wrestler I've even heard about from way back in the day like that is big daddy. What can you tell us about big daddy? Big daddy. Uh, you know, my big daddy was the Hulk Hogan of British wrestling throughout the sixties and seventies when wrestling had a spot on prime time television and on their version of network television in the UK, but there was no bigger star in the United Kingdom anywhere than Big Daddy. And his his nemesis was Giant Haystacks, who people might vaguely remember for a few weeks as the Loch Ness in WCW. Two really large men that uh, were larger than life in real life. But I went to England with TNA many years ago, and I'll never forget people coming up to us, and, and it was myself, Pat Kenny, and Al Snow, and they're going, is Big Daddy going to be here tonight? You said you were going to have the biggest stars in England. Will Big Daddy appear? Um, so to this day, I think there's a, a large segment of people in the UK that look at Big Daddy almost in a, in a godlike mythical figure. Well, of course, you know, Davey first rose to prominence in Calgary, and I know you weren't really there. But when do you first recall hearing about Davy Boy Smith? I mean, were you hearing about people in Stampede all the way down in Houston as a youngster? Or when did you first hear about uh, the British Bulldog? You know, you really didn't hear about anybody unless they truly stood out. I didn't really become familiar with Davy Boy until he joined the WWE in 1985. I'd heard of the Dynamite Kid from his exploits in Japan with Tiger Mask and what have you, because my brother was also a junior heavyweight like Dynamite and competing for Anoki's group in Japan. So I knew of Dynamite, but I didn't really know that much about Davey Boy until the Bulldogs debuted in the WWE in 1985. So that's really your first time seeing them. And, and I know yeah. that you weren't there yet. You weren't there until 87. But I, and we're going to talk about him a lot in this episode, or at least for a little while, I'm sure dynamite kid is a guy who really captured the imagination of the people who really knew and understood wrestling. I mean, he was a revolutionary performer. Was he not dynamite was dynamite was one of the original high flyers. And he did things that I think the people had never, well, people had never seen before. And Dynamite was extraordinary in the way that he wrestled matches. He was very believable. And for a smaller guy, you believed that he could compete with his larger adversaries because of the way that he worked. He was very believable, tough son of a bitch, but he also did a lot of high-flying stuff and he did innovative things that audiences had never seen before. And he, he kind of honed his craft and really made himself a star in Japan. And that international just reputation went all over the place. So they signed with Vince. Their start date is March 10th, 1985. They defeat Mr. X and Terry Gibbs. And Davey said that, uh, right after they signed with him, 
that Vince climbed on a small table and danced. Did you ever hear that story? Vince McMahon <laughs> dancing on tables. Well, I've heard stories about Vince McMahon dancing on tables. I never heard him dancing on a table or <laughs> signing the Bulldogs. That's a that's a new one on me. I, I can't say I ever heard that story. They were allegedly doing really, really well on the house shows here when they come in. Of course, the company's on fire, and they're actually put on the same cards with Hulk Hogan. So they're making somewhere between five and $10,000 a week. I mean, is that a real number? That seems like crazy money in 1985 for, you know, a tag team. It was crazy money and the guys were doing just that. And that word, whether it was true or not, that word got out to people in the, you know, in the territory system that, Hey, you know, we're out here, we're doing crazy dates. We're working a crazy schedule, but the money is outrageous. And we were hearing all kinds of crazy numbers. The boys tend to exaggerate. But I wouldn't doubt it at that time because the business was just so red hot. And with merchandising and everything else going on, they were probably doing pretty damn well. The Bulldogs were voted tag team of the year in 1985. Um, Obviously, they had uh, all of the fan support behind them. Let's go to WrestleMania 2. I know you weren't there, but I do want to briefly mention uh, that Ozzy Osbourne is in their corner here. And they defeat the dream team of Greg Valentine and Brutus Beefcake to win the tag titles. WrestleMania two, you know, we're never going to probably talk about that here on the show. It's the first time they tried like the multi-location thing. This is before you're there. 1986. What's the, what's the opinion of WrestleMania two? Obviously WrestleMania one was revolutionary, but when they come back and it's King Kong Bundy and they're in multiple locations and, and they're trying a lot of different stuff here from the outside looking in, what was the takeaway on two? Uh, well, Ernie Ladd telling us King Kong Bundy is stealing money every time he goes to the bank and cashes a check. Uh, the fact that Bundy was on top, that was kind of a kind of a big deal. And the three locations was looking at it from the outside, a logistical, a logistical nightmare, because not only do you have to coordinate those three locations, you have to coordinate those three locations into one program, and then you've got to satellite that program out to the closed circuit locations all over the country. So we're, we're thinking of all of the things that could possibly go wrong and just wondering why the hell Vince wanted to risk all of this for the second WrestleMania, but obviously the damn thing paid off. When I worked with Ozzy Osbourne many, many years later, all – for Ozzy, one of the biggest moments in his life, if you were to listen to him and his management, was WrestleMania and going out with the British Bulldogs. Ozzy thought of that as he was a wrestling fan growing up in England, and to be a part of WrestleMania for him was a spectacle and something that all those many years later, he just fawned over the Bulldogs and fawned over the fact that he was a part of WrestleMania. So I I thought that was pretty damn cool. All the things Ozzy Osbourne had done. And he still was just talking about WrestleMania too. (sighs) What a time to be alive. Let's talk about this. August 26th, the Bulldogs beat Jack Foley and Les Thornton. Jack Foley is actually Mick Foley. And this is a pretty famous clip that a lot of people have seen online because 
Dynamite Kid famously broke broke his jaw during the match. Do you remember hearing about this or seeing it, or did Foley ever mention it? Yes, I've talked to Mick about this. Funny, you know, small world coincidence. I was talking to Mick Foley earlier today about some different things that Mick was fact checking with me, and I were going back and forth. But yeah, Mick talks about this, and he was an enhancement talent at that time and working with the Bulldogs, and without a doubt. Dynamite Kid broke his jaw, and he came back and thanked him, <laughs> thanked both of them for the match, and went on his merry way. But he remembered that, I think, probably every single day since then. Yeah, He's looking at this as his big moment on WWE TV, and then he gets the shit kicked out of him. Late 86 is when the Bulldogs start to bring Matilda, a Bulldog, to the ring with them. Was that revolutionary in wrestling? Had anybody brought a dog to the ring before? Uh, not that I ever remember. And it became the WWE having the reputation of being a traveling zoo because you had Jake with his snake, you had Coco with his bird, and now you had the bulldogs with Matilda. So it was, uh, it was just a traveling zoo. And it was the first time that anybody had incorporated that into an act, especially on a traveling tour like that. Um, on December 13th, 1986, there's a tag match with Morocco and Bob Orton and dynamite's back goes out during a, uh, drop down spot. He crumbles to the map and he's unable to move at the hospital. He's told he's ruptured two discs and needs emergency back surgery and should probably retire. Of course he doesn't do that. So he checks himself out of the hospital and goes home. And then McMahon called telling him he needed to come back and drop the tag belts. Dynamite said he wasn't ready yet and pretty much couldn't even walk and Vince not wanting to put the belts up at a time consuming tournament kept calling every couple of days. Dynamite who couldn't walk more than five steps on his own finally agreed to drop the belts to the heart foundation on January 26, 1987, less than two months after suffering the injury. I know you weren't there. What'd you hear about the injury and the rumor and innuendo that McMahon pressured him to get back in the ring when he really probably shouldn't have. Well, we all had heard about the injury and that was, you know, people talking about that. And, and you hear about that from territory to territory. However, you're only hear one side of it. And it's probably the side that somebody told Dave Meltzer that he printed in and probably not completely correct. And I think that when you go back and you look at the time in the wrestling business in 1986, where guys with injuries wouldn't always tell you they were injured because they didn't want to miss a payday. And if you're injured and you're off the road, then you're not making any money. So I don't know how much Vince truly knew, and I don't know how much Bulldog uh, or Dynamite actually you know, really revealed to him. And then it was said, okay, if you're injured, we can get you to the ring. You don't have to do anything. We get the, the titles off of you. So uh, there's probably, I think that's kind of skewed on one side, having been there and guys don't always give you the full story of how bad their injury is, but at that time it's probably tape it up and let's go. Is it a, you know, how unusual is that for a guy to have an injury like this sort of appear on just a drop down like this? Well, it was probably, obviously the drop down didn't do it. It was an accumulation of, of an injury that, that whatever that bump was triggered it to really make him go, holy shit. And when they do the x-rays and do the MRIs that I'm sure they did to discover that, 
they're looking at it going, oh my God, you're, you're pretty screwed up here. Being a wrestler and say, ah, I can go on. I'm sure I've got plenty of injuries. It'll be fine. And I think that that was probably Dynamite's attitude towards that and saying to the doctor, he doesn't know what we do. But it was probably just that one spot that he probably bumped wrong and triggered it and probably pinched a nerve somehow and made him, you know, screwed up. You know, there's, uh, there's lots of rumor and innuendo around all this period because, you know, just social media didn't really exist like it does now, but allegedly Vince wanted the Bulldogs to drop the titles to Sheik and Volkov, but they refused and said they'd only drop them to the heart foundation. Does that sound right to you? I never heard that. I, I, I really don't. I don't know if that's true or not. I've never heard that before. I don't doubt it, but I don't, I don't know if that's true or not. Brett has written that everybody sort of felt bad. You know, they were sort of fighting back tears as Davey was helping a shell of dynamite kid sort of walk through the backstage area. And I guess Pat Patterson was trying to explain that all, you know, Billington had to do was walk out to the ring. And that's really what they tried to get through here. And that the title match, the switch was only, you know, four minutes long. And then as they came back through the curtain, apparently every wrestler stood up and applauded, you know, what he was able to do, including Vince. Is that something that people, you know, obviously it's a bad thing to ask a guy to do that, but it is very much a different time and era. Do you remember that being pretty common when a guy could sort of gut it out like that, that he gets a round of applause from the boys for sort of sucking it up? Yeah. And it's common courtesy and respect. And I think that if. The boys, yeah, the boys look at it and going, God damn, man, that's that's a tough son of a bitch going out there and doing it. And it's a way to say thank you. Da- Davey finds himself teaming up, you know, work still tag matches, but teaming up with a lot of different partners while Dynamite's out. JYD, Tito, uh, Kirshner, Blackjack, Roddy Piper, lots of folks are teaming with him to take on the Heart Foundation. And on March 8th, dynamite makes his return and the bulldogs lose to the dream team in a tag team tournament. Let's fast forward here. WrestleMania three. I think most people remember the heart foundation and Danny Davis beat the British bulldogs and Tito Santana. And you came to the WWF right after WrestleMania three. What are your earliest memories of sort of working with the bulldogs and your impression when you met them? Both guys were, you know, Davey was, Davey was nice. Davey was a personable guy. I think that dynamite was pretty standoffish and very guarded. You know, dynamite really didn't, if he didn't know you, he didn't trust you. So he was pretty standoffish. I definitely remember that, but Davey was pretty personable and, and a nice guy, but they weren't somebody, you know, that I really gravitated to and hung out with. There were times we were in the same bars and everything after the matches and never really, you know, had any issue with them one way or the other. Had you heard about, you know, maybe a crazy reputation for these guys before you got there, or is that something you learned about when you were there or when did you, you know, sort of hear, oh man, these guys are fucking crazy. Anaheim, California, um, the summer of 1987, when we had, done TV and I forget we I think we did TV in San Diego and Anaheim and Outback Jack came to TV had his hair and had all of his stuff 
And the next day, his head was shaved, and he was walking around with his knife in his hand, with his big uh, Outback Jack knife, looking for the Bulldogs. Because apparently they had ribbed him the night before, and they had cut off the crocodile head on the back of his jacket, and he had got messed up, and they had shaved his head, and he wanted to exact revenge any way that he could. And I'm thinking, wow, that's that's pretty serious to be walking around. I thought it, we, I thought it was just Outback Jack being in character, but no, nah, he was pretty pissed off, and uh, he was looking to scalp him some bulldogs. Let's talk about. Um matilda because you guys very quickly after you're there do an angle where bobby heenan steals matilda and that sets up the islanders feud i mean that's some pretty silly shit is it not stealing a fucking dog oh that was great shit uh, <laughs> a way to set up you know a way to set up an angle steal a dog so you steal their mascot and it was some classic stuff with bobby walking around with the invisible dog leash and saying yeah here's matilda but it was also a way to give Matilda some rest. Matilda had been having some problems on the road, and the vet was like, man, this dog can't be on the road, you know, 60 days straight, and she needs a rest. So Matilda needed some time off the road as well. So steal her. It's been written, you know, sort of in the fall of 87, it became apparent that Davey was now the star, not Dynamite. But there was a little bit of an internal, maybe power struggle because Tom was still sort of the captain of the team and he was making demands of Davey in the ring. But then afterwards, Davey sort of had to babysit Tom every night because Tom was a partier. And it also gets back to Davey that Tom had been pretty openly complaining to some of the other boys that it was actually Davey's fault that he was injured in the first place. This is all sort of rumor and innuendo from Bret Hart over the years. Do you remember hearing about these guys maybe having a bit of a power struggle or some dissension in the ranks about this injury? You know, it's no different than two brothers that are with each other every single day, you know, day in, day out, traveling together, working together. You're never apart. And they started, yeah, their dissensions, one way of putting it, they were getting on each other's nerves. And I think that Davey was the healthier of the two. Davey was doing the majority of the work in the ring, and he was the one that when it came time to do spots with, okay, this is what we're going to do with Davey. Because also, Dynamite was limited in what he could do due to his back situation and due to nagging injuries. So Dynamite was the one that, you know, why don't you do it? Why don't you do it? You, You do that spot. You do that. It made Davey shine a lot more, and maybe that, in Dynamite's mind was, you know, to his detriment and thinking that Davey's hogging it when in reality, Davey's doing what he's being asked to do. And his his, shy, his star shined brighter. WrestleMania 4 is something that we've uh, covered recently, but I guess we should mention here, uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan and the Islanders would go up against the British Bulldog and Coco Beware. Bobby comes to the ring in a dog handler's outfit. Scale of one to 10. How bad did Bobby hate this shit? (laughs) Bobby was sweating his ass off and it was one of those, it was basically like wearing padded burlap. Well, it was padded burlap shit, but it was something that they would train attack dogs with so that the dog could bite, but it wouldn't hurt Bobby at all. And he was beefing and he was sweating his ass off. He couldn't move. 
you and say, the whole did angle. Did you say the word beefing? Did you say beefing? Beefing. What, what? Wait, hang on. I think that means something different in my generation. What the fuck do you think beefing means? When you're all sweaty and stinky and you're beefing. No, that's no. What does it mean to your generation? It, like you and Dave Meltzer are beefing. I wouldn't get hot and sweaty with Dave Meltzer. That's, Sorry. That's not what I meant. Okay. Keep going. <laughs> what is wrong with your generation? That's not what it means. Beefing means you have a problem with one another. Like, you know, nah, man, if you're all sweaty and stinking, man, and you're beefing. What the fuck is wrong with you? Stop saying that. No, that's what, so that's what it was. So he, and he couldn't move for shit. And the idea was for Mil, uh, Matilda to attack him. And they tried to teach Matilda to attack him and it got out of the ring. And all she wanted to do was hump him. It was, it was the shits. It was horrible. Great idea. Just didn't work. Saturday night's main event, April 22nd, world tag team titles on the line here. Demolition beat the Bulldogs by DQ to retain the titles. And then they start working six mans against Bobby, the brain Heenan and the Islanders through the rest of April and May. Uh, and along the way, they're going to have lots of shots at the title on the house shows against the demolition tag team for both July and August. Let's get to SummerSlam 88. The Bulldogs wrestle the Ruggio brothers to a 20 minute time limit draw. What the fuck is this? What's wrong with that, man? That's just old school right there. A 20 minute time limit draw. Count me out. Damn, five more minutes. Just give me five more minutes. That was it. That was it. That would have been old school and just five more minutes and then have the heels powder at the end. I guess we should talk about this. This is a pretty big, pretty big deal. In the fall of 88, this is when one of the more famous stories in wrestling comes about. The Bulldogs are having problems with the Rougeau brothers, specifically Dynamite and Jacques. The Bulldogs are, of course, notorious ribbers. And the rumor and innuendo is that Mr. Perfect was involved here and played a rib on the Rougeaus, but the Bulldogs, based on reputation, were blamed for it, and that causes a lot of heat. And when Dynamite heard about Jacques going to Vince about the rib that Mr. Perfect did and then blamed Dynamite, he was furious that Jacques was going to rat him out for something he didn't even do. So he barges into a dressing room where Jacques was playing cards and slapped Jacques across the head from behind, knocking him off the bench. And Brett says Jacques never pretended to be a tough guy, but he had enough balls to stand up for himself. And he lunged at Tom who snatched him in a front face lock, choking him down to the carpet. He let him up, but then Jacques charged him again. And Tom cracked him in the mouth before taking him to the floor again. And this time Tom cinched up until Jacques tapped his hand on the floor and surrender. Uh, brother Ray Rougeau arrived on the scene just then and politely asked Tom to just let Jacques up. And he did and told Jacques not to be stooging him off to the office anymore. Now it's worth mentioning that Ray, I believe is a former golden gloves boxing champ. And despite his maybe less than threatening appearance, he's a pretty legit dude and respected for that, but he was injured earlier that week. And there was no real opportunity for a fight here. So there's an audience around at this point, of course, and dynamite can't help, but start taunting Ray and Ray says something like I've hurt my knee. And Tom says, allegedly, yeah, right. Ray, you come and see me when your knees better. I'll be waiting for you. So this story becomes pretty famous and this is the first of, well, 
a few confrontations here. What do you remember about this particular story? All right. Well, let's get, you know, a few things clarified here. And the rumor and innuendo through the years, I think that the legend has, has grown. And I don't think that Jacques went to the office. It was the ribs were getting pretty rampant and the agents had smartened up Vince and said, Hey, you know, this is, this is going on. And, uh, the boys, the ribs are getting pretty stiff. And I think, you know, something needs to be said because Jacques was being ribbed and because there was a rift there with Jacques and dynamite Jacques, I mean, uh, dynamite assume, well, Jacques went to the office. So that was, you know, where the assumption began. Hey, you went and stooge me off. He didn't. It was the agents who were going, hey, the ribs are getting out of control. So Vince just didn't want the ribs to get out of control, didn't want things to escalate. And just was like, we'll talk to the guys and let them know we're not going to tolerate any of this shit. There was something with uh, uh, somebody stole Jacques' gold chain or something like that. So it, it, it stopped being funny ha-ha ribs and got to be stiffer ribs, um, just doing meaner things, I guess. So the, the confrontation happened in the, in the dressing room where Dynamite came in and confronted Jacques. And I, I wasn't there, but I did hear that Raymond came in and broke it up. And that Dynamite, knowing that Ray's knee was hurt, told Ray, hey, when your knee gets better, you know, come find me. I'll kick your ass, too. Now, there's, you know, I was going to say uh, not too many people that or a lot of people. Well, there's a lot of people. I wouldn't fuck with anybody. I don't I'm a pussy. I don't want to fight. <laughs> but. If you're even if you're a tough guy, one guy you wouldn't want to mess with is Raymond Rougeau. Raymond was very quiet, nice guy, gets along with everybody, but he's the last guy you'd probably want to be in a fist fight with. Uh, had a tough guy reputation, but he never really had to, you know, he didn't have to prove it. He wasn't an asshole about it, wasn't a bully. It just uh, so that's how I heard it. That when Ray came in, that knowing Ray's knee was hurt, the dynamite said, "Hey." Uh, I won't kick your ass right now because your knee's hurt. But when your knee gets better, come find me. So that part of it, you know, that was confirmed by a lot of people. Well, they start working. The, the, the foundation is working nightly with the Rougeaus. And it's hard not to notice that they're taking this ribbing from the Bulldogs personally. This is all from Brett's book. He writes, and every night Tom made a point of asking Ray how his knee was. I warned Tom to ease up. And then at TV in Toledo, Tom was wrapping up a conversation with Pat Patterson. They're the two in the l- last two in the lunchroom. As they got up and walked out the door, Jacques sucker punched Tom, knocking all of his front teeth out. As Tom bent over, dazed and stunned with blood pouring out of his mouth, Jacques drilled him until bad news intervened to save him. Meanwhile, Pat jumped around like a hysterical woman. The Rougeaus had their bags waiting by the back door and bolted before Tom even realized what was going on. A famous, famous story here. What do you remember about when he finally retaliated? I saw the whole thing. I was on a payphone. Uh, it was right outside of catering and I was on the phone and I noticed again, when you go back and you realize everything that was taking place, Jacques and Raymond were hanging around outside of catering. When Dynamite came out, Jacques nailed him from behind. 
and it was a punch from behind, and they turned around, and Jacques nailed him again. There were quarters or nickels or dimes or whatever. There were, there were coins all over the floor. And it's like, what the fuck is going on? And I remember Dynamite being bent over. He had his hands up, and they, it wasn't like in front of his face. He just had his hands up trying to block whatever the hell was coming in. Um, guys started coming around and shit. Pat tried to get in between them and, you know, like guys break it up, break it up. And Raymond was just on the outside, making sure that nobody jumped in. He didn't get involved in it. Um, it was a bad, it was, it was an ugly scene. Put it that way. Uh, Jacques knocked out dynamite's front teeth and it was a lot of blood and it was a mess, but they did not, they did not leave after that because Vince had a meeting with them, uh, got everybody together that day, had Hulk in there and, you know, got everybody together that day and made them meet and say, Hey, I'm not going to have any of this nonsense and bullshit. Why was Hulk? Brother, why can't we all just get along? Because Hulk was, yeah, Hulk was the locker room leader at the time. He was, he was the big star. He was the main guy and he had Hulk in it. So, but he, he got everybody together that day and he, he sent, you know, he sent everybody home and all that shit, but yeah, it was a bad scene. Um, it was written. The bulldogs had to leave the next day for a WWF tour of France. Vince called Tom in France and offered to pay for his dental work, but he insisted that when he came home, he wanted both Tom and Davey to meet him in his hotel room at the San Fran TV tapings. He'd have the Rougeaus there along with Pat and he wanted them to all make peace. He told Tom that if he and the Rougeaus carried on the feuding, he'd hold back the royalty checks and pay-per-view checks and the pay from his French tour. So Tom grudgingly accepted Vince's orders. And it was uh, a sad surprise to see most of the wrestlers when Tom, our legendary pit bull basically had his balls cut. Those of us who really knew him realized that getting his teeth punched out was the beginning of the end for him. Dynamite was good for his word when he shook hands with the Rougeaus in front of Vince. So that's the way Brett remembers it and sort of thinks that's really the beginning of the end. Would you agree with that? It was the beginning of the end. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. You know, the, uh, the order of things I think is a little mixed up because Vince got everybody together. Then okay. when the Bulldogs went over to France, I think it was the the bravado of dynamite saying, by God, when next time I see Jacques Rougeau, I'm going to kill him. And dynamite cutting the promos and Vince was like, no, next time you see him, you're not going to kill anybody. And that was again, when he got everybody together and said, Hey, this ends it's over. And he did, he did pay for uh, dynamite's teeth and told him he would take care of that. But it was kind of dynamite's, bravado and when he got over there talking about you know this isn't the end of it i'll get my revenge and vince just didn't want to have any of that and so when they got back again it's like this ends <laughs> guys this is over there's not going to be any receipts you know the, the ribbing and the bullshit got us here it all ends over well let's keep it going here because uh, we're not done uh, brett said on november 24th he even sold talking about dynamite for both of them at the bulldogs last match at survivor series and even worked a couple of hot spots with Jacques. 
He simply couldn't afford not to, but he brooded terribly about it. The match he's referencing here is the Bulldogs teaming with the Hart Foundation, the Powers of Pain, the Young Stallions, and the Rockers to take on the Rougeau Brothers, Demolition, Brainbusters, Bolsheviks, and Conquistadors. Uh, we're probably going to cover that one soon, I guess in November. Chat me up here. Last match for the Bulldogs and the last match ever for Dynamite Kid and the WWF. What went down? Why did it end? I think that they were, they had run their course. And after the, you know, after the deal with Jacques, Dynamite wasn't, he was not the same guy. You know, he didn't walk around with the chip on his shoulder. He didn't walk around, you know, the same tough guy that he had been prior to that. Plus you had, you know, the Bulldogs had been there for a little while and they had an opportunity to go back to Japan. They had some dates that were still on the table that they wanted to honor and see if they could maybe go and not work as much, go back to Japan and do that for a while. So it was a, it was an easy out, put it that way for them to be able to exit stage left and go do something else and still save face a little bit. They wind up in stampede for a little while. And, uh, in may of 89, they did some stuff in uh, all Japan as well, uh, through 89 and 90, but in, in may of 89, the bulldogs split up and then start a feud with each other, but they're still together in all Japan because you know, no internet and whatever July 4th, 89, though, is a big deal because Davey is involved in a serious car accident, which included Chris Benoit, Ross Hart, and Jason, the terrible. Apparently Davey wasn't wearing a seatbelt and had his head slammed into the windshield and then was thrown 25 feet to the pavement. You ever hear about this wreck? Yeah, it was, it was a bad one. And there were legends of the North, the Northwestern trips and some of the car trips those guys took. And this was an exceptionally bad, uh, bad accident. And Davey getting hurt. You just heard about it. And everybody was just thanking God that everyone was alive after the accident. So we were just thankful that everybody, you know, for the most part, you know, was okay. And Davey ends up with his head split open and getting several stitches, but it could have been a whole hell of a lot worse. He got, he got thrown through the windshield and, and took a hell of a bump, but yeah, we all heard about it and it just, uh, you knock on wood and you thank God that uh, everybody's alive and okay. Let's talk about September of 1990. Uh, Davy boy withdraws himself and dynamite from an all Japan tag tournament. And the rumor and innuendo is that dynamite was in a car accident and couldn't compete, but that's not true. And Davy around this same time winds up, uh, signing with the WWF and he's coming back as the British bulldog because it turns out that he himself has actually gone out and trademarked the name. And allegedly that caused some hurt feelings with him and dynamite was dynamite pissed off that he trademarked the name British bulldog that he went to the WWF again or both all the above. And I think that Davey boy was looking for a way to get out on his own. And he didn't think that Vince was interested in the tag team. And also Davey boy's looking at his career and thinking how far, how far can he go as a tag team? And here was an opportunity to break out on his own, become a singles. So he took it, you know, he, he looked at the opportunity and said, why the hell not? And I think that there was animosity there on dynamite side going, you know, what about me and how dare you leave the team 
and go out on your own. And then you take the name on top of it. So, yeah, there was <laughs> there's definitely some animosity there. What's uh, what's the deal with um, Davey being allowed to call himself the British Bulldog? Like, I know he owns the trademark, but that feels like something Vince would have tried to buy or take over. Or, I mean, Vince always wants to own everything. How does the British Bulldog sort of slip through? Well, I think probably he probably let it slip through after they were gone and didn't renew the trademark and didn't continue on with it. And when it came available, Bulldog probably grabbed it up and Vince... There's equity already in that name, so he can lease the name from Bulldog and continue to capitalize on the equity he already put into it. Um, that happens. So every, every once in a while, they get the list of names and the list of trademarks that they want to continue, and you've got to continue to pay down on that stuff. And he'll go through and say yay, nay on a lot of that stuff. So it, it's uh, probably didn't think he was going to use them again at the time. Um, did you ever have a conversation about, you know, I don't know when we're talking about him again, but do you ever have a conversation with Davey about dynamite? Because I think dynamite's been in a wheelchair since like 97. What was their relationship later? They didn't have one. Um, as far as I know, and there were times that we would go to the United kingdom where, it would be brought up, hey, should we reach out to Dynamite? And is there something we could do with Dynamite at, at the show? And there was never any warm and fuzzies from Davey. There was definitely animosity there. It was a divorce. You know, they, they were, they'd been married for all those years and, and traveled the world together. And it was like a bad divorce. So Davey didn't want to have anything to do with it. So we never really did anything with dynamite going forward. Um, it wasn't a desire, you know, there wasn't any desire on Davy's part and he, he was with us and dynamite wasn't and dynamite had done some interviews and different things talking bad about the company and how, how badly he hated everybody and everything. And he was, he was miserable and very bitter. I think, you know, from what I hear, he's, he's still very bitter. When was the last time you spoke to him? Last time I spoke to him was at Survivor Series for their last date there. That's the last time I saw Tom. 30 years ago. Yes. So when Davey comes back here in 90, uh, he looks a lot different. He's got long braided hair. He's a lot bigger than he was before. You know, we've sort of uh, skirted around this, but it's pretty well known that Davey used performance enhancing drugs. And there's almost a joke about you know, what they would do with needles or not do with needles, <laughs> you know, allegedly even with a dog, what do you remember about the sort of rumor and innuendo about Davy boys steroid use? I think there was rumor and innuendo about a lot of guys. And since, you know, obviously I know this is going to be really hard to believe for a lot of people, but I, I didn't participate in, I didn't do steroids. Okay. Nobody this is all natural, God given. <laughs> you well, know, like you. I mean, I know you've done your share of steroids. Yeah. I mean, I, the only steroids I eat are the ones in chicken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Purdue. Yeah. So, um, so I, I never, you know, that didn't interest me. So I never really, other than 
you know, from a layman on the outside looking in and, and hearing about, you know, oh, yeah, he's, he's doing steroids, he's doing steroids. I, I never really knew that much about it, especially in 1990 or during that time. But yeah, there were guys that definitely had the look and there were guys that were definitely probably on steroids and taking them. Um, that was, that was the business at the time. So I, I don't doubt that he was, he was definitely taking steroids and he's talked about it. You know, the fact that he, he had taken steroids in the past. So it's not like it's a big secret. His first match back is October 10th, 1990 beats Haku. And to finish up 1990, he starts working against the Warlord. Let's get to Royal Rumble 91. He's in the Rumble match. He comes in at 14, eliminates Rick Martell, Mr. Perfect, and Haku before he's eliminated by Earthquake and Brian Nobbs. After that, he starts working with Warlord and Dino Bravo, and we're on to WrestleMania 7, which covered, we covered that in the archives. Yeah. March, we did. March yes, 23rd, did. 1991. Check it out. Something to wrestle.com. The British Bulldog actually pins the Warlord here in eight minutes and 19 seconds with a power slam. You know, as a kid, Bruce, and I talked about this on that WrestleMania seven episode, I loved this, you know, this full Nelson battle of the full Nelson's deal that you guys were trying to push here. And Meltzer didn't hate it. He says, quote, this was much better than the arena matches I've seen the two have. In fact, considering who was involved, they did a very good job here. Two and a half stars. Why did it work so well? You know, Vince loved those two big powerhouses, you know, facing each other, you know, two big guys and, and colliding. My nod goes to, to Bulldog because Bulldog was working son of a bitch and, you know, he made it work. And, and I think that when you find two guys, plus Warlord and Bulldog, they worked out together. They liked each other. They got along. So you got two guys in there that like each other, similar build, similar interests, they gelled, so they had good chemistry. But it was slow. Well, I'm not arguing that. You know, one of the things I always had about Warlord as a question, and, you know, I don't know when we'll talk about him again. I'm using that a lot today. It feels like he's a tailor-made opponent for Hulk Hogan. I'm not saying they would have done, you know, a pay-per-view, but he's a big, jacked-up, evil motherfucker. Why, why did Warlord never get that opportunity? Because he would have made Hulk look small? No. Oh God. No. Hulk, Hulk would love that. Um, the bigger, the better. It just, you know, we, we tried with warlord. There was just, goes back to the it factor. It was missing. And whether it was the verbal skills that he didn't have, or just that next gear in the ring, <sighs> he was only going to go so far. And, and you're right. It would have been in the days of the heel factory would have been a great opponent for the Hulkster. Let's talk about, um, Saturday night's main event, April 15th bulldogs in a battle Royal, Mr. Perfect wins. And coming out of that, he's challenging perfect for the intercontinental title on house shows. And he's also working against earthquake, but that gets us to April 30th and may 1st, where bulldog beats the undertaker by count out in England. It's their first match against each other. And for a couple of these shows over in Europe, Dynamite actually appears in Bulldog's corner. Do you remember that? Yeah, and and that was kind of early. That was you know before you know Dynamite really got to the point of you know Davies getting all this glory and Davy is the only Bulldog, so it was still early and they were separated. 
but they thought for, you know, the UK, it may work, but it was only a few times and it was just, you know, we weren't doing TV over there at the time and tried it out. But I, I think that was the only time that we ever used Bulldog because I don't, I mean, um, Dynamite. Dynamite. So you leave the company not too terribly long after this. Did you keep in touch with uh, Davey at all when you were on hiatus down at Heartbreakers every night with the table skirts? No, no, I didn't. I was busy. Yeah, I was. You keep in, <laughs> I was. I was keeping in touch with other things. Yes, exactly. Uh, um, let's get to SummerSlam '91. I know you weren't there, but we'll just briefly mention Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, Kerry Von Erich, and the British Bulldog would be Warlord, Hercules, and Paul Roma. Woo! Two and a quarter stars there. They did that famous Japanese tour in uh, September of 2001 that year. And then they did in October, the famous battle Royal at Royal Albert hall in London. It's a pretty big deal. It's been talked about a lot and bulldog actually wins. And that's probably when you guys sort of started to double down on, Hey man, bulldog can be our top draw over in England, right? Well, because he was British and we're in England. And again, I wasn't there at the time, but yeah, it, it was bulldog was having that, that following and that reaction when they would go over there for their live event tours. So thinking, all right, maybe we, you know, is there a way to do more with bulldog in, in the UK? Huge star survivor series 91 goes down to Detroit flair and DiBiase team up with the Mountie and the warlord to beat Bret Hart, Roddy Piper, Virgil, and the British bulldog. I have no fucking idea why Virgil's here. Um, I do. It's against Ted DiBiase. I'm just saying, you know, uh, two and a half stars here. And this one, of course, flair is the sole survivor. Uh, I guess we should mention that November 28th in Ottawa and on the 30th, they did a double shot. And on these shows, the undertaker defends his world title against the British bulldog. Of course, the undertaker won that belt and was briefly champion after the survivor series. I know you weren't there, but why do you think bulldog was the right guy to challenge for the world title? Somebody for undertaker to beat that, that simple, a baby face to, to be able to put against undertaker that they would except as a, you know, as a baby face and somebody for him to get a clean victory over. There's a, a famous story around this same time that Brett has told where <laughs> Hogan has dared Hawk into giving Vince McMahon the doomsday device, the road warrior finish in a bar in and, PTs in San Antonio, Texas. Were you there or you heard about it? I was in San Antonio that evening, but, uh, I heard, I, everybody heard about it the next day. What was Davey's involvement? Uh, I don't know what Davey's involvement necessarily was. I heard that Vince took several finishes from people, including the road warriors finish and the heart foundation finish. The next day, Vince showed up to TV in Austin with a, uh, messed up ear. His ear was like all bloodied and, and crazy, but he had that pep in his step and walking around like nothing happened to him. But that was the town was San Antonio and the club was PTs out off of 410. Half of the club was a gentleman's establishment that had uh, uh, beautiful young ladies who took their clothes off for uh, shoe show. things. And all, shoe show. And all, yes. And on the other side uh, was 
a uh, a boot show of of males oh. for the female contingent. And, and which side was Vince in? I think they were in the middle. No, they they were on the they were on the the female side uh, up on the bar and taking bumps off the uh, on the stage. And apparently the authorities were called at the end of the evening because they still wanted to stay and imbibe in a few adult refreshments. Allegedly, Davey was carrying Vince over his shoulders, looking around for a place to power slam him. And that's when, uh, they got the call. Uh, let's run through. I mean, I guess we should uh, catch everybody up here because you're actually out for a while. Um, but we covered the 92 Royal rumble and, you know, Davey boy came in number one, he eliminated DBRC sags haiku, and then was eventually eliminated by Ric Flair, who would go on to win the thing. You come back right around SummerSlam 92, but you weren't at SummerSlam 92. Was there ever any talk of you making your way to SummerSlam 92? Or was it always, you know, we'll just talk about it when you get back. Talk to me when I get back from England, pal. And that was, that was the famous phone call where Vince called me at home. And I could tell that he was at home and had me on speakerphone and asked me what I was doing and so on and so forth. And he ended the conversation with, I'm going to England. Uh, call me when I get back. I'll be back. We're going to do TV and then give me a call that week. And we hung up and I thought about it for a minute. I had plans to start at WCW. It was, I believe, Labor Day weekend. And they were doing one of those Tuesday night specials that they used to do. And I was going to make my debut managing the Barbarian. So I sat there and thought about it for about 10 minutes. I called Vince back and I said, hey, man, I need to know. Are you offering me a job? Uh, talk to me when I get back. I said, well, here's the deal. <laughs> I'm going to start for WCW on, on that Tuesday um, unless you're offering me a job. And then we can talk about it, you know, and we can see, you know, what, what you got. And that's when we, we talked about it. And, uh, the rest, as they say, is history. Before we talk about SummerSlam 92, we should probably circle back because this is worth noting. The May 18th observer would write, Dave Meltzer would write British bulldog and Chris Walker have both been suspended presumably for six weeks each. Jim Duggan is going to replace bulldog for the foreseeable future. Some of the suspensions may be related to Dr. Moro de Pasquale taking over the steroid program from Dr. Anthony Daly at the beginning of this month. If he really can't catch all users, as he claims, I expect a few obvious names to be added to the list. And if not, well, there's no such thing as an unbeatable drug test. This is a big deal. You know, all this stuff's happening. Some of it while you're not here. What did you hear about bulldog suspension in May of 1992? I, I really don't remember bulldog suspension specifically, but I definitely remember, you know, Mara Di Bisquale being involved in the, uh, drug testing and, and Morrow was an expert in drug testing and he was an expert when it came to steroids and, and bodybuilding and what have you. So he was a, he was a big name in that genre. So the fact that they had Morrow administering the drug test now and the company was removed from that so that they didn't have to administer the, the drug test and they weren't involved and had a third party, that was a big deal. 
And that that was the talk of the industry is like, oh, you know, now they're getting serious about this. Let's talk about the SummerSlam 92 show, and I'm sure we'll cover this at some point, even though you weren't there. Famously, a lot of people thought it was going to be in like D.C. or Maryland and winds up in London instead. And Brett sort of takes credit for the ladder match in the company becoming a thing. And he pitches that, you know, Hey, since you want me to drop this intercontinental title to Sean, I've got an idea for a match. I'll only tell you about if you promise not to use it for anyone else. So he tells him about the ladder match. Vince loves it. And then asks to see it. So he does this ladder match with Sean on a house show. And allegedly Brett says, Hey, if we wind up doing SummerSlam in England, why don't you let me drop this title? Not to Sean. But to Davy Boy, the pop would be incredible. Davy Boy's still actively suspended during this conversation, I should say. And then Davy can just drop the belt to Sean. Eventually, Vince comes to this or comes around to this. But Brett sort of takes credit for this. And I think that's sort of interesting in hindsight that, you know, Brett sort of takes credit for Bulldog having this big moment. Did you ever hear that story that this match that we're about to talk about was sort of Brett's idea. No, I, I, I didn't, but I, I don't know if that, if that's true or not. I, it, it may very well be. I do know that Vince wanted to do the international pay-per-view and being in the UK wanted to feature Davy boy because Davy boy was probably the biggest WWE star, um, over there in the UK. They, they looked at him as the biggest star for the company. So to be able to have Davey in a featured match, he already had the program with with Warrior and, and Flair and all that other stuff going on. So he wanted to feature Davey in another way, but maybe it was Brett's idea. I, I really don't know whose idea that was to get them there, but I do know that putting Davey on top in the UK was something that they wanted to do with the UK show. Brett wrote a story in his book here, Bruce, where... He's trying to chase down Davey and he never can catch him by phone. All Diana will say is he's out with Jim somewhere. And eventually they track him down right before Brett's supposed to leave for England. And Brett writes that he's shocked when he finally talks to Jim and Jim says he's just taken Davey and Diana to the airport and that Davey was quote high as a kite. When he called his flight, Jim said, because he'd been up all night smoking crack with him. Jim told me that Davey had a gorilla on his back and he was worried about him. I couldn't have been more disappointed in Davey and feared he would end up making us both look bad. Now, Brett, of course, tells a story of, of having a conversation with Vince about whether or not they're sure they can close the show. And Brett says, nobody will, will be able to follow us. And he even offers to talk about the finish with Vince and Vince says, I don't want to know, just surprise me. And he continues this story that when he finally gets to London, there's hundreds of fans pouring out of the hotel lobby, just to chant his name in the streets, but he's looking for day. He's looking for Davey and he's off somewhere with Diana and his family, but he doesn't actually see him until the required entrance rehearsal at Wembley stadium the night before the show, which is pretty common. And he asked him why he hasn't returned his phone calls all summer. And he wrote, quote, he wasn't able to look me in the eye. 
He fessed up that he'd been smoking crack with Jim for weeks and was now terrified. He'd gone back to being the same helpless kid I'd rescued from dynamite 10 years earlier. Quote, trust me, Davey, and I'll do all I can to get you through tomorrow. Okay. He nodded and I sat him down for a crash course going over our match and making him recite the moves back to me. It was now completely up to me to save our match. It's a pretty famous story here, you know, about the match itself. But have you ever heard this story that Davey showed up to SummerSlam 92 high on fucking crack? You know, I, I, I didn't, and I never heard it obviously until, you know, Brett talked about it in, in his book and what have you. Um, I wasn't there. I didn't know. And I didn't know, you know, that Davey had had those problems at that time. And when I rejoined the company right after that, there, there was no, there was no talk of any issues, um, with him at that time. So news to me. what did you think of the match? Of course, that's a fam- a famous, you know, note or story that Brett and, and, and Bulldog had laid out the whole match, but as soon as they get in the ring, you know, Bulldog sort of doesn't remember anything. What might that sound like? Brett, I'm fucked. I don't fucking remember. Help me drop down tackle. What fuck? Um, it's a tremendous match. I just watched it maybe a year ago. It doesn't get old. Uh, big fan of this match. If you haven't watched this match from SummerSlam 92, the main event, you should definitely watch it. It's a pretty cool finish too. It's one that, um, Brett credits with Leo Burke, which is a name we don't hear very often. You got any stories about Leo or can you tell us who that is? Leo Burke is a Canadian. Uh, he was big in Calgary. Traditionally, he was like a journeyman wrestler throughout the years and a, a heel, but a hell of a guy. And I never, I never met Leo until many, many, many years later in the business in Calgary when we had him help training guys kind of in a finishing school at Brett's house. And Leo was one of those people that was very good, fundamentally sound and a damn good trainer. And, uh, but he was a journeyman wrestler, wrestled all over the world. Meltzer wrote of the match. This is certainly one of the best major promotion matches of the year in this country. Four and a half stars. You ever have a conversation? I know you weren't there for this, but you ever have a conversation with Davey about this match? I mean, this is probably the biggest moment in his entire career. Is it not? Yeah. I mean, I, I remember coming back because I watched, you know, I watched the show delayed on pay-per-view. And then when I got there and I got to see everybody, that was one of those matches that you had to go up to the guys and say, hell of a match. Good God, man. I I really enjoyed that match because it was just that good. Um, and both guys were pretty damn proud of it. And I I think rightfully so. Um, but you know, specifically, I think Davey was on cloud nine because now he's in a position the intercontinental champion of being, you know, one of the top baby faces in the company. He starts working shows after this, defending the title against the fucking repo man, the Mountie and Shawn Michaels. Uh, you're, you're back here right after the show. What'd you think of Brett? Not Brett rather bulldog as intercontinental champion. Well, and I'm sure we're going to get to this, but it, it was a, it was a good it was a good balance because we had Flair as the champion, the world champion, and you had Davey 
as the Intercontinental Champion. So you had a heel champion on one side and a babyface champion on the other. Um, and it was a good mixture of talent. And I thought Bulldog fit there. And getting to the program with Shawn Michaels was that's where we wanted to get. And that was something that Vince had in his mind to elevate Sean even more and get him in that mix and that top mix. It doesn't last very long. This title run because he wins it in August and on October 27th, Saturday night's main event, Sean pins him to win the intercontinental title. And Brett said on October 27th at the TVs in Indiana, Vince and Pat told Davey it was time for him to drop the belt to Sean. And instead of reminding Davey that dropping the belt to Sean was the plan all along, Pat explained that they could only push one baby face champion in a time at a time. And I was it. And this sowed the seeds of discontent in Davey. Meanwhile, I did my best to be a friend to him, reminding him not to take it personally, but Davey grumbled long and loud about leaving to go back to Japan or WCW. Did you hear that he was unhappy about dropping the belt? He was boo-boo face. Uh, Davey was definitely boo-boo face. However, uh, that was the truth. You know, plans changed when Rick, Rick Flair was the champion and Rick was having some health issues and Rick was ready to leave and so on. And so we're not ready to leave just yet, but Rick was having some health issues and Vince just wasn't, you know, wasn't feeling it with Flair. He wanted to make a change, and it was that reaction immediately. I want to make a change. I'm going to make a change right now. That's when he decided to have Brett defeat Flair, and then he's looking at it, and he goes, man, I've got two babyface champions here with Brett. I can't push him as, as the top guy, and then I'm pushing Bulldog over here as the Intercontinental Champion. I need a heel in that spot. And that was the rationale as to why the once the main championship changed hands, you know, Davey was a victim of circumstance and he Vince wanted to put it on a heel. That is what happened. Well, it doesn't matter much longer than this. Let's go to the November 23rd observer. Probably the single worst thing that could happen to a promotion short of a scandal would be a pay-per-view main eventer walking out at the last minute. As everyone knows, that basically happened twice last week to Titan Sports, as both the Ultimate Warrior and the British Bulldog quit the promotion in moves that appear to be unrelated, except they both happened within a day of each other. This forced Titan to come up with an emergency angle that aired on Monday night on Primetime Wrestling, turning Kurt Henning babyface and teaming him with Randy Savage in the Survivor Series main event against Ric Flair and Razor Ramon. Although both men were said to have been fired by the company, other sources are claiming they actually each quit probably a little bit of both. Although at least in the case of warrior, it is definitely more quit than fired. The warrior (laughs) situation wasn't unexpected, but the Smith situation came with little warning. Uh, Some within the organization expected warrior to be history before the television tapings in Canada, which saw Brett win the WWF title and have Hart and savage as the new tag team and survivors. When that didn't transpire, it was pretty much considered a given that it was because so much had already gone into the advertising for the pay-per-view and it would be much easier to bite the bullet and wait until after the show to make any changes, but that warrior would likely more likely than not be history shortly after the pay-per-view that wasn't a definite, even though there was an indication given since warrior was still not planning to headline shows in December, 
And they started an angle at the last television to start a new program with nails, which would have died at the gate, but it didn't hold together since warrior quit 17 days before the show with no reasons, nor plans being known other than the talk. He's going to try and merchandise himself independently. Smith attempted to leave the promotion on good terms. Although it doesn't appear that many consider the situation all that good. Aside from the survivor series problem, the promotion itself had given both Randy Savage and big boss man time off after the survivor series warrior and bulldog were the two top headline baby faces on one of the two touring shows, causing the company to be forced to basically revamp much of the plans for the winter quarter. In addition, warrior was going to likely be the focal point of WrestleMania's main event. So plan a is totally out of the window. He would continue here that he thinks bulldog is going to start in January with all Japan. And they're saying that maybe some of the problems with him, well, I'll just read it here. Titan sources have said the problem with Smith was he wanted superstar treatment because he felt he was the Hulk Hogan of Europe, which he pretty much was. While at some point it would be no surprise to see Smith return as he's quit the promotion twice in the past when he tagged with dynamite, both times, mainly to work Japan and Calgary, but both times eventually returned. Although the second time took a few years between now you've told this story before chat me up here. Meltzer saying that they quit. I know you're going to say different. Yeah, because they didn't quit. They were both fired. They're both fired for violations of the drug policy. And Warrior was fired first. And when Vince called Warrior, Warrior said, oh, is this about the stuff with Davey Boy? And Vince asked him what the stuff with Davey Boy was. And when Warrior told him about that, it basically implicated Davey Boy. And both guys were fired for a violation of the drug policy. Who left the drug needle in a hotel room? That wasn't it. That, was that wasn't it at all. No, that was... The, I don't know about a drug needle in a hotel room. I remember the, the there was a drug needle incident, a needle incident. And like here's, a, like here's a main, the beautiful thing about it. A man huh? found it or something, right? No, no, it was in a, it was in a locker room. Okay. And that uh, the the maintenance guy, not the maintenance guy, the, the janitor, janitor came in. Yeah. Yeah, and they came in and they, they found one uh, and they said, oh, my God, you know, if this guy – it picked up the trash and a needle had punctured and, and all this stuff. So they had it tested. And one of those, thank gods, it was an insulin deal. So it was like, oh, God, if this, you know, of course, nobody ever reports that part of it. Right. But the, the fear was, OK, they, there was a needle found. And on our end, we were scared, but they went and got it tested because the guy had either stuck it in his hand or something had happened like that. Um, it was in an arena, and the arena manager had called and said, we have to know what was in this needle. And they had it tested because the guy was afraid of all this shit, and it was an insulin gimmick that someone had thrown in the trash in a locker room. Right. So it was that was a big scare. That wasn't cool. That had nothing to do with Warrior and Davy Boy at all. It was it was something something else completely. And when Vince confronted him with it, Warrior uh, owned up to it, and he says, Jim, I, ha I have no choice. I have absolutely no choice. And then Jim says, well, what, you know, basically, what about Bulldog? Bulldog's the one that got it. And it's like, I, I have no nothing else to do but to act on Bulldog now, too. What, what do I do with that information? You know, what's funny is I know every now and again I bust your balls by getting things out of sequence. 
But Brett wrote it exactly like that. He says on November 18th, Vince phoned to tell me he just fired warrior. And that unfortunately Davey was going to be next. He wanted to tell me first, so I could prepare for any backlash that might happen as a result. And this is directly from Brett's book. I know you weren't going to say it. He said that warrior and Davey had been receiving shipments of growth hormone from a dealer in the UK who had just been busted. Vince was so under the gun. He had fired. He had to fire them both immediately. Now, I know you're going to say you're going to dance around, but this is what I do. Hypothetically, Vince was not under investigation. They're not fucking getting canned here, right? Yeah, but he was under investigation and it was, it was a violation of the drug policy. He had no choice at that point. And the fact that, uh, it's public, he, you know, he, he, his hands were tied. I'm sure he would, would have loved to have not had to sacrifice the main event for a pay-per-view and then the undermatch, you know, the two basic main events for the next pay-per-view coming up. And I think we were two weeks out of the damn thing. So in a perfect world, yeah, you would have loved not to have had to have fired your two top stars, your two big baby faces at the time. Believe it or not, Davey works a couple of shots in an early ECW promotion and then winds up in WCW. Not too long after that manages to get a few shots with all Japan pro wrestling as well. He's with WCW until December of 93 and in July of 93, he is reportedly involved in an altercation with a man in a bar who was making advances towards his wife. And eventually they had some ensuing legal issues that followed that. And WCW decides to release him from his contract in December of 93. Did you ever hear about this incident in a bar? Oh God. Yes. It was, it, it felt like it went on forever and ever and ever. And it was the stereotypical altercation in a bar of a drunk guy. Uh, I think he either made a pass at Diana or pinched her ass or did something and made inappropriate comment to Diana. Then the guy went over to Davy Boy and they like were either shaking hands or the guy came at Davy. Davy front face locked him and when he let him go, the guy fell and, and hit his head. And the guy got pretty fucked up. I mean, he was he was messed up pretty bad. I think he was in a coma for a while, something like that. But it was it was one of those cases that just drug on and on and on because in Calgary it was a big big profile deal and the prosecutor was looking to make a name for himself. And what better way to do it than get the big professional wrestler in town, Stu Hart's son-in-law, and let's make a name for myself and let's go after and prosecute this guy. So it was it was a bad deal, but from everything that I heard about it, and again, I'm hearing it from, from Davy Boy's side and, and the Hart side, was basically what I just told you. And I think the witnesses involved in the case kind of bared that out, uh, that... The guy was drunk. Guy was harassing Diana. The guy came at Davy, and Davy front face locked him, and put him out. And he hit his head. Bad place, bad time. Pretty nuts. Meltzer would report in December of that year that he had negotiated a deal with Bill Watts for a certain amount, allegedly a thousand dollars a show, but that he thought he was free to work independent shows. And Watts allowed him to work a tour of Japan since he already had a deal with giant Baba before he negotiated with WCW. 
and he had to give WCW two months notice before he did those tours. And Smith also claimed that Watts agreed to pay him a higher amount per match for the European matches. Since Smith is essentially the company's top draw there, but he received the exact same amount as normal for the recent European tour in October and November. And it's the same as he would have gotten in the United States. And he complains about this. And apparently there is, uh, some hurt feelings here, allegedly to the point that it leads to the end of him leaving the company. And it also compounds that he was working independent shows with Jim Neidhart in Florida. What do you remember about the end of Davy boy and WCW and then how he reaches out to y'all? Cause it's not, it's not a clean break here with WCW to say the least. No, I, I remember the, the whole situation because WCW, when they acquired Davey after he was, was fired, uh, they're looking, oh my God, now we've got the answer. We have the Hulk Hogan of the UK. And if we can bring Davey and get him over there, and I believe Hulk was already there as well, but if we can have Davey in the UK, that's a guaranteed sellout. So... We had heard, you know, Davey had negotiated himself a deal to be to be paid more in the United Kingdom. And obviously we heard all of this secondhand and after the fact that when he went over to the UK that he wasn't paid what he was promised. But I don't think that Davey had it in his contract. I think it was a verbal with whoever he made the deal with, Watts or whoever. And WCW didn't draw that well in the UK with Davey on top. And they, they didn't do the business that they anticipated that they would do. They thought that they would put Davey on the card and they would sell out everywhere. And that didn't happen. So I think WCW felt justified in that because it didn't draw what they thought it would draw, that they didn't have to pay Davey what they had agreed to pay him. And both sides you know, reached an impasse and WCW finally said, if you don't like it, leave. And I think they were looking to cut costs too at the time. Do you think the, um, the beating he gave that guy in the bar on August 12th, do you think that's one of the reasons WCW got rid of him too? I mean, like, I'm not saying that, you know, it was necessarily going to hurt WCW, but it couldn't help when you fucking fracture a guy's skull. And I mean, there was some well, serious, again, injury. all he did was front face lock him. And there are a lot of witnesses to that. No, I'm, and knowing, on that. I'm just saying, you know, when, when the news gets out that, oh, he's got a fractured skull and he can't hear in one ear and he's got memory loss and slurred speech. It's a bad look, you know, for, for, it the, is. for the, they promotion. don't want to touch it. Right. I agree. I think that definitely had, you know, weighed in on that decision to, we don't need that when the, if, when, and if this goes to trial WCW superstar, the British bulldog, you know, that doesn't help anybody. And, and again, you know, just like you said, Davy boy beat the hell out of the guy. I, I don't believe that. And from all the witnesses you hear Davy boy front face lock him. And with wrestlers, anytime you've seen them in a bar fight, man, that's the go-to you front face lock somebody and choke them out and get rid of them because they can't do a whole lot when they're in a front face lock. So Davy's story was believable. The witnesses stories kind of said the same thing. So it wasn't the guy fell and hit his head and it was an unfa- unfortunate accident. And it was unfortunate that he injured himself that bad, but 
shit happens. It does. Let's talk about June of 94. There's lots of rumblings in the observer around this time that Davey's going to come back and we get to SummerSlam 94 here in Chicago. I'm saying here, like we're already at Starcast. Meltzer is reporting that, um, Bulldog shows up ringside with his wife and they're plugging the 900 number and they're showing, you know, these jacked up arms. And then eventually they reveal that it's Davy boy. And of course, Meltzer can't help, but make fun of the, the steroid policy. What do you remember about the decision to have Davy boy in the front row of this match with Owen and Brett, a match that by the way, got five stars in the observer. Match was excellent, and it was a way to reintroduce uh, Bulldog. Have him there as a spectator, and last time anybody saw him was, God, it had been, what, eight, nine months before that in WCW. So it was a way to reintroduce him and talk about, again, the family connection with Brett and Owen and Diana and Davey. Just a different way to reintroduce him. How was, how was Davey with dealing with that loss of income all those months? You know, I hope he had his money saved and Davey was still working. I think Davey was still going over to Japan and doing some different things. Uh, and he was probably still working Calgary and doing what he could do, but hopefully he saved his money as well. You know, when, when Vince agrees to bring him back, I mean, he's just freshly out of the woods on this steroid deal. Is he nervous about these assault charges against bulldog? It feels again, like something he would avoid, or does he just feel like, you know, I need the talent and and I need a draw in Europe. I need him. Big part of it was the UK and a big part of it was we were looking to do a lot more international touring at that time. It was something where we had begun to sell tours overseas and for a considerable amount of money, more money than we were making in the States at the time. So to have another draw and have someone from that area definitely didn't hurt. So that weighed into the decision. Plus, Vince did his, his due diligence and did the investigation and had our lawyers look into everything as well and felt pretty confident that the case would hopefully go away and that Davey would be exonerated and that would be the end of it. You know, you can have a little bad publicity in the end, but it, but, it, but in the end, hopefully things are going to be in Davey's favor. Let's talk about survivor series, November 23rd, 1994. We're in San Antonio. We got the bad guys and the teamsters. What do you remember about this match? And, um, you know, what can you tell us? It's a star and a half, not really the best survivor series ever. Well, this one was again to kind of you've got Davy and Razor and the kid and the head shrinkers. Again, Sean, Diesel, Owen, and Nightheart, Jeff Jarrett. It, it was a hodgepodge. And it was you take a bunch of guys like those Survivor Series matches usually were that have issues, you lump them into a team and pray for the best. A lot of great workers in this. And you look at the match and say, God damn, that should be a barn burner. But there was so much other stuff going on. Not always, you know, you can have the greatest talent in the world and sometimes you're going to have a stinker. You don't win them all. Well, speaking of, uh, not winning them all, 
Bob Backlund is in this show and he's taking on Bret Hart here and Bulldog is in Bret's corner with the towel and Owen is in Backlund's corner. Talk us through the finish here and what the thinking for this survivor series situation was. You know, we had had the chicken wing versus Bob Backlund with the chicken wing and Bret Hart with the sharpshooter. And it was battle of the submission holds between Bret and Backlund. I got to tell you, man, I loved the Bret Backlund issue. I thought that they had some great matches. It was good chemistry. Bobby was unorthodox, but Bret was so damn steadfast and that he was going to get a good match out of it no matter what. They were so different in personality, but in the ring, I thought that they gelled pretty, pretty damn good. Um, you guess whose idea this was, but, <laughs> but we got to the point where it was a submission match, but to do instead of I give up or I quit where we had the corner men throwing in the towel and you tell the story that I'm never going to throw in the towel. And we eventually got rid of Davy boy and, Owen pleading with his mom to get his mom to, to finally throw the towel in on Brett. I thought it was great storytelling and, and one of the, a, an excellent match. It is a good match. Um, a day later, Backlund loses it to diesel at a house show at MSG. We'll talk about that another time. Uh, let's get going here. Raw on November 25th sees Jeff Jarrett beat bulldog by count out. The reason I mention is this does a 3.3 rating, which is the highest number for raw since August. And, um, I guess we'll just cruise on in to Royal rumble, 1995. It's going down in Tampa. Can't wait for us to cover this bulldog comes in early again, this time. Number two, pretty famous finish. We've talked about a lot here on the show on our Shawn Michaels episodes. Bulldog thinks he's won because he feels like he's thrown Sean over the top rope. Of course, Sean doesn't touch both feet. Just one. And eventually slides back in and eliminates bulldog the next night on raw bulldog beat the black phantom. Bruce, what's your favorite black phantom match? Uh, my favorite black phantom match would have to be the one where he faced blue apron. Well, when it comes to dinner, let blue apron, take care of the planning and the shopping with fresh pre-portioned ingredients and chef designed step-by-step recipes blue apron lets you see what food can do enjoy delicious meals tell us all about them bruce well okay first of all you get to choose from 12 brand new recipes are designed by blue aprons in-house culinary team and they change based on the season each and every week now I just did the Kung Pao chicken with the stir-fried peas, and it was basically two pans, man. We did the stir-fried chicken, and then we did the rice in another pan. 20 minutes, and you're ready to go. Didn't have to go to the grocery store. I'm lazy. I hate the grocery store, and everything's delivered right to your door. And they even have just the basics. If you feel like steak and potatoes, they've got it. They've got a whole selection for you to choose. You can pick two, three, four recipes based on what fits you and your schedule. And you can rest easy knowing the Blue Apron sends only non-GMO ingredients and meat with no added hormones. Best of all, Blue Apron is often offering our listeners their first three meals free. Go to blueapron.com slash wrestling. I'm going to give that to you again because you get your first three meals free. It's blueapron.com slash wrestling. Blue Apron is not only a better way to cook, it is the best way to support our show, support our sponsors, 
We like it when you buy t-shirts. We love it when you watch us on the network. We really appreciate you supporting us by coming to our shows. But folks like Blue Apron make this happen for you. What are you waiting for? Cruise on over blueapron.com slash wrestling and check this out. Why wouldn't you do this? Your first three meals are free. Get you some Blue Apron, a better way to cook. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, what Bulldog is doing because this first half of 95, it feels like, man, you guys are uh, strapping the rocket to him a little bit. He's tagging with Brett. And, you know, he's working with Bundy and Backland and Michaels on the the house shows. He's even on raw working with Shawn Michaels, but he's working with top guys. And around this same time, it comes out that he's being sued for $1.3 million now for this bar fight in July of 93. So there was always the criminal stuff, but now it's, it's personal. And according to the lawsuit, the dude was in the hospital for 47 days and still has significant loss of motor skills, cognitive skills, speech skills. This has to be weighing on Davey in a big way. You know, here we are damn near two years later, still talking about it. What were your conversations like with him about this? You know, he was nervous as hell because you never know what the hell a jury or a judge is going to do in a civil lawsuit. And it's costing him a lot of money and it's cost him a lot of time and aggravation and anxiety, just having to deal with it in general. And every time that he is in Calgary, it's on the front page of the newspaper and it's constantly in his face and it's not just affecting him. It's affecting, you know, his family and the hearts as well because they all live in Calgary. So it, it was weighing on him big time. And you could tell because practically every conversation he would, you know, my Fulton lawyer and I Fulton got this and now the guy's saying that. And it was always something new. And it it was that pest that just wouldn't go away, this lawsuit and this whole case. Let's talk about WrestleMania 11. Uh, Davey Boy would, would tag here with Lex Luger to beat the Blue Brothers. And uh, the match was clumsy in spots. That's the review that uh, Meltzer would give it. He gave it half a star. I bring this up because... And I know we're going to talk about WrestleMania some other time. Has anybody fallen one WrestleMania to the next as much as Lex Luger here? I mean, I think a lot of people thought WrestleMania 10 was going to be his moment. A year later, he's beating the fucking Blue Brothers. Well, I think Lex could look in the mirror on that one. But at the same time, it was Vince's way of trying to put two guys together that maybe we didn't have a whole lot of ideas for. And as far as a singles run with them and put them together and make them a tag team. And hopefully together is a unit might be able to get something out of them. Let me ask you this. A lot of people have said that Lex Luger, a lot of his problems started when he befriended Davey boy. There were people who knew Lex sort of the NWA days And then when he came back to WCW and they say he's two different guys and some people sort of point the finger and say, Rod Davy hanging with Davy is what fucked this guy up. Now, of course he's not fucked up these days. Lex Luger is, you know, one of the success stories. Oh, that's doing great. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's the most positive, you know, he's just a great guy now, but once upon a time, apparently he was, he was a bear 
to deal with. And maybe he had his share of demons. Is it fair to pin some of that? Obviously it's all personal choice. I get that. But do you think that Davey could have been classified as maybe a bad influence on Luger? You know, in, in all my years and being around both of them, I've never heard that before. Uh, I, I never heard that. And that may be something that maybe people looking for an excuse or Lex looking for an excuse to pin it on somebody. Uh, they might have pinned it on Davey, but I, I never heard that till you just said it just now. So you would disagree. that wasn't widely spread, at least on our side at all. Okay. Were they running mates? Did they ride together? Luger and Bulldog? It feels like they'd probably had this similar diets and similar workouts and probably easy. I know. Yeah, they, they did ride together and I know they definitely trained together. Okay. Um, there's, there's a fun match that never made air here. There's an in your house around this same time. May it goes down. It's a dark match. Owen and Bulldog go to a 15 minute time limit draw. That feels like that could have been a fucking tremendous match, but it didn't make pay-per-view. Were you guys not really ready to go forward with that? I mean, it's going to be a clinic when you, when we see it two years later, but why not here? Well, it was a King of the Ring qualifying match and it was a way to eliminate both guys. So you have them go 15 minutes Broadway and get rid of them both and just continue the story. So it, it was it was a fun deal to do. I think we did air it on TV at some point, but it was something from an in-your-house pay-per-view. But we did, I think we did air parts of it on TV as part of the King of the Ring qualifying deal. It comes out in uh, June of that year that the guy who was beat, his name's Cody Light of Calgary, and this guy who is alleging that David Boy beat him up is now saying that Davy boy used a pile driver in the fight, which is, I mean, is that the fucking dumbest thing you've ever heard? Oh man. You know that? It, it, yeah, it's just silly. And it, and it is something of a desperate prosecution and a desperate lawyer looking at trying to sensationalize something and talk about this big professional wrestler. And, and this is what he must've must've done to him and trying to grasp on anything that will garner public sympathy and get people to talk about, Oh, you, I don't know how big the guy was. I don't know anything about him at all, but I'm sure if you were to put the two pictures side by side of Davy boy and this other guy, probably in, in a hospital and, and out of it and go, Oh, this big wrestler over here, this big healthy wrestler did this to this guy. Um, it's just a way to sway public opinion and for a prosecutor to twist twist things up and get sympathy. So they set a date here um, where they're going to hear doctor's testimony and all this for January of 1996. And on the heels of this, Davey boy even pulls himself off the tour, the TV tapings and all that, and just sort of takes a powder for a minute. Do you remember him sort of pulling himself out of the ball game for a few weeks here? Well, we pulled him out because he had to prepare for he had to prepare for the trial. And if I remember correctly, the the trial was postponed for over a year. Yeah, I mean, it, it went on. It felt it felt like the damn thing went on for four or five years, um, just having to deal with it on a weekly basis from time to time. But the idea behind it was giving Davy some time to go and prepare for the trial and. It was taking its toll on him. It was taking its toll on his family too. 
Uh, let's go to in your house too. July 23rd in Nashville. This is the famous one where Jeff Jarrett walked out. Owen Hart and Yokozuna would retain the tag titles against the allied powers, which is Lex Luger and Davy boy Smith. And what Meltzer called something of an upset. He gave it two and a half stars. He kind of liked it. I know a lot of people actually really enjoyed the Owen Hart Yokozuna tag team. What'd you think of Luger and Davy, the allied powers? frustrated (laughs) and and here's why again as i said earlier i think it was an attempt on vince's part to take two guys that you know davy had this case looming over him so to do a singles run with him was was iffy because he could be pulled at any time lex was somewhat of a failed experiment previous year and vince trying to find something for two guys that he liked a lot and that he felt had something that we were going to bank bank on and cash in on at some point. So there was never really any plans to make them champions. There was a good tag team with two star names and Lex Luger and the British Bulldog. You put them together and get people over. And if they get over in the process, then... We can split them off and maybe work a program against each other, and who knows? But to say that there were big plans for them, there there really weren't. It was a stopgap. Let's talk about what's next here, because this is a a pretty big deal, I, I guess. I think this is the first time it's happened. The August 21st Raw of 1995, we see a tag match where diesel is teaming with the British bulldog against men on a mission and bulldog turns heel and attacks diesel during the match. Why did you guys decide to turn Davy boy heel here? This is really the first time he's been a heel, right? It was, and it was to try something new because we weren't getting up. As I said, we weren't really getting a whole lot of the allied powers and let's try, let's try something else with him. Um, there was thought of maybe getting to the program with Lex and Bulldog, but it was just an attempt to try something new with both guys. Well, you do. And, um, Bulldog and Lex continue to team against Owen and Yoko for the tag titles, but then Bulldog just walks out during the match, which leaves Lex alone where he'd get beat up and eventually pinned. In the middle of all this on the September 11th raw, which is the first time we saw raw and nitro head to head Lex debuts in WCW and bulldog beats razor Ramon by DQ. Uh, after Davies heel turn, he started to be managed by Jim Cornette and he cuts all his hair off. Now he's got a buzz cut. What's up with that? God damn. Let me see those traps, pal. You know, Vince felt that like, you know, doing that short haircut. And I think Davey, the, the, the cornrows or whatever he had, the, the braids and everything were, were coming out and it was tearing at his hair. Just so much easier to take. Plus I thought that bulldog looked a thousand times better with the buzz cut. He, he looked huge and, uh, it was a damn good look for him. In your house three saw Davey boy pin bam, bam, Bigelow in 12 minutes after a power slam. Star in three quarters. What'd you think of the match? Much as I hate to admit it, I'd I'd probably half-ass agree with that. It wasn't anything special. And it was during the time that Bam Bam was 
not happy and Bam Bam was was kind of in a funk as well. So neither neither guy was, in my opinion, at their best there because you, you take two guys like Bam Bam and, and uh, Davy Boy and this should be a hell of a match, but it just wasn't. We saw the, uh, we've talked about this recently on the Shawn Michaels episode, Diesel and Sean beat Smith and Yokozuna for the tag titles, even though it was really Owen and Yoko who were the champs and the pin actually happens when Diesel jackknifes Owen Hart for the pin, even though he wasn't in the match. So of course they reverse it the next night. Uh, and that means that, um, well, you remember the fucking smoking guns, September 25th. Bulldog Owen and Yoko beat Diesel, Michaels, and Undertaker when Bulldog pins Diesel. And then they continue through September and October with the house shows of Michaels and Bulldog working together. Of course, on October 13th, that's when Sean got his ass beat in Syracuse and Davy Boy is in the back seat. Pretty famous story. We've covered it a couple of times here, most recently on our Sean Michaels 95 episode. Did you ever talk to Davy Boy about this? Famous night in Syracuse. You know, yeah, and Davy Boy didn't remember much of it at all, other than he was trapped in the back seat. I couldn't fucking get out. And they, so, as you listen to, to everybody's story on it, it was kind of a blur and fuzzy for everybody. And I don't know that that's one of those that. Someday somebody will have a uh, sober recollection of everything that took place outside in that parking lot that night. I guess we should mention that Bulldog was in the back seat while these dudes are taking turns beating Sean's ass. He eventually gets out, he being Davy Boy, pronouns pal, and drags off with one of the guys who was attacking Michaels. And at that point, Sean's just completely helpless. But then someone tried to leg dive Davy from behind and he wound up being able to lock in a front face lock and is choking him out when a third guy tries to stick his finger in the left corner of his eye and pull his fucking eye out. So he pulls around, they start fighting. Things are, things are rough. Uh, the next night though, he's working a match and he's got scratches on his face and like a black eye from the, the broken blood vessels. But, um, kid is not hurt because he was in the back passed out and, and they're working a match. Of course, Sean's not there. He's in the hospital. I mean, this is one of those, uh, weird moments where the show must go on, right? Absolutely. The show must go on. And unless, you know, they're, they're not breathing in and breathing out. And if you can work with a black eye, right. And I don't know that, I don't know that Davey had any injuries beyond that. And, he was able to work. So he worked in your house for October 22nd in Winnipeg. Of course, this is where Sean forfeits the title to Dean Douglas, but here we've got diesel retaining the WWF title, beating Davy boy in 18 minutes and 14 seconds. And Meltzer didn't hate the match. I got to tell you, I actually really enjoyed this one. Um, he gave it one star, but he didn't love it, but I kind of didn't hate it. what did you think of this match? It, it does. It does result in a DQ. I guess we should say that, but I didn't hate the match. I thought it told a good story. God damn. I thought that they had a, a good match and Davey was one of those guys that was able to get a good match out of diesel at this time. And they went out and they told a good story and you got Cornette on the outside, jumping around and doing all of his shenanigans. Motherfucker. Uh, 
good God, a star. No, I, I thought that Davey and Diesel had a hell of a match, especially for the time. Was there ever any consideration to having a heel Davey boy as champion here? I mean, did Vince ever see him as world champion here or any other time? I mean, he didn't get a lot of world title matches on pay-per-view, but he does here. So if it was going to happen, this could have been it. Was it ever even discussed? It was discussed, you know, in a what if scenario, but it was never seriously considered. No. Okay. Um, Razor Ramon is beating the British bulldog and house shows after this to retain the intercontinental title. And then through most of November, uh, it's a six man with Brett Michaels and diesel beating bulldog Yoko and Mabel. They're doing that to sort of cover up Sean's injury. Let's get to survivor series, November 19th in Maryland. It's a wild card match. Sean and Ahmed and Davey boy and Sid beat Yoko Owen Dean and razor in 27, 24, uh, overall. Not the best match ever. Not my favorite, but Meltzer kind of dug it. He gave it three and a half stars. What'd you think? I I thought it absolutely sucked. And I thought that it was an ill-conceived idea. And it was during the time that Bill Watts was with us. I just didn't, I didn't understand it. I didn't think that the guys gelled. It was an attempt to really get Ahmed Johnson over and get Ahmed into the mix and push Ahmed as a huge star but I didn't think that the match gelled. So um, there you go. But it, w- it was a Bill Watts idea, and it was solely to push Ahmed Johnson in a, in a babyface role. Uh, Bulldog's working with Diesel, and he winds up beating Diesel by DQ through all the house shows in November and December. I want to bring up this one, though. From December 15th, 1995, it's a Stu Hart tribute show in Calgary, and Brett beat Bulldog to retain the world title. How does that come together? Because we were in Calgary, and do you have any idea how many Stu Hart uh, tribute shows (laughs) that we had over the years? No, you know, felt like every you know every five, six, seven, ten years, whatever it may be, there would be. Hey, let's have a Hart Family Day in Calgary because we we only ran Calgary maybe twice a year, and Stu was a big name, so you could make it special and and do something with him. So. It was another opportunity to highlight the hearts in Calgary and get the most bang for your buck. Let's talk about the next match. And this is something, you know, I give recommendations on here. Sometimes just fucking take my word for this. Go watch in your house from December 17th, 1995, Bret Hart and British bulldog have a rematch from their classic SummerSlam 92 match. This is actually the crowd is unbelievable for SummerSlam 92. But as far as the actual match, this is my favorite of the two. I think this is my favorite bulldog match ever. And the SummerSlam 92 one's probably second, but that crowd is something else. So December 17th, 1995 Hershey PA, Bret Hart retains the world title pinning Davy boy Smith here. And there is so much blood in this. It is ridiculous. It feels like an, an old Jim Crockett promotions match, four and a half stars. Um, after the match, Smith leaves hugging his wife and walking out together. So it certainly looks like they're setting him up to be a baby face here, but these guys work their ass off It's a bloodbath. I liked it better than SummerSlam. What say you, you know why you liked it better than SummerSlam blood? No, because you had a baby face and a heel yeah. and you had a traditional 
matchup. The SummerSlam match, you can't take anything away from it. It was excellent. But here you actually had a heel in Bulldog. Right. They, Brett and Bulldog, they were magic in the ring, but now they had an issue that they could actually work around. And you felt it. You had a, emo- it was emotional more so than just about a championship. It was two brother in laws that were fighting. Brothers don't fight. It was real and it felt real. I thought it was, I thought it was better than their SummerSlam match because of that. Let's talk about the Royal Rumble 1996. He comes in number 29, he eliminates Janetti, and then he's eliminated by the winner, Shawn Michaels. Uh, the next night on raw, or I guess eight days later on raw diesel beats bulldog. And let's talk about the February 12th observer. We're back talking about this fucking trial. Still the Davy boy Smith aggravated assault case is expected to be sent before the jury just before press time. And he sort of recaps the whole thing. And he's saying that they've heard a dozen witnesses to the incident. A few of them, I believe three testified Smith attacked light and either picked him up and threw him and, or punched him and, or ran him into a wall, which ended with light suffering serious permanent damages. Um, it feels like this is something that just won't go away. Is this something that the stress just continues to build or does he just sort of get used to it? Is this something that maybe, um, affected him with his on again, off again, issues with substances. What can you tell us about the toll this has taken on itself year over year? Man, it's, it's absolutely brutal. But at the same time, I think there was, there was a sense of dread and there was also a sense of relief because it's finally being heard and you're going to get an outcome one way or another, you're going to get an outcome. And it was stressful, not just on Davey, but it was stressful on the entire family. You're, you know, everything is, is in the hands of someone else. And at this point, and they rolled out, you know, they rolled out people with different stories and the prosecution had their experts and stuff that it was, it was crazy. And, And I remember there was a guy, a wrestler from Calgary or that had wrestled in Calgary that testified that bulldog could have done either a power bomb or a pile driver or something in the fight. And Bulldog is, is sitting up there going, hey, wrestling's work. You know, what we do requires cooperation. So for me to do a pile driver, me to do a power slam or any of the bullshit that they were saying he did, it's going to take the cooperation of his opponent to do it. And they tried to turn that in the revelation of the Bulldog says that, that he's a fake. And that was the headlines in, in Calgary. So that's on top of everything else. Now he's being responsible for the the Hart family and being looked at as fakes now, and they're all a fraud and all this other shit. So it's a heavy toll. And I, and I know, you know, Davey is as much as I think people like to say, you know, hindsight being 2020 when, you know, Brett talked about before SummerSlam and, and Davey having a grill on his back or whatever it was. And, and people talking about these things that allegedly Davey was doing. It wasn't evident. It wasn't evident to us on our end. Davey wasn't displaying any signs of somebody walking around all pilled up or anything like that during that time. Was he stressed? Was he not himself? Was he worried? 
absolutely. And this thing was dragging on him uh, unlike anything I'd ever seen. And it, and it sucked because you just didn't know the outcome. So allegedly on the stand, and this is quoted, every single thing in wrestling is a fake Smith said on the stand. And of course, then the prosecutor tried to emphasize the point saying to put it bluntly, you were a fraud to the public. And Smith replied, if you want to put it that way, I just, uh, man, it feels like Vince McMahon wants fucking nothing to do with this. Nobody wanted anything to do with it. It was, it was a sad state and it was a situation that was unfortunate, but we all had to deal with it and you had to just kind of go through it, get through it and either take your medicine or you're going to get off. But even if you get off, it still was costing him money and it still was costing him heartache all along that, you know, and just, it was a shitty, crazy time and it just seemed to go on forever. Let me ask you this. When he, when he says wrestling is a fake and obviously it makes the paper everywhere is Vince upset or does he get it? Like the dude, I mean, Vince has just been in a fight for his life. Does he get it or is he disappointed? No, I mean, he gets it. And that's something that, you know, I'm sure that our lawyers and our people probably told him that that's the way to go. It wasn't like this was a big revelation. The, the business was a work. What? Conrad. Yeah. Let me tell you about this guy named Susanna Clizals. Okay. He only comes to the good boys and girls houses. Okay. Well, the bad boys and girls have their parents give them gifts. Well, that means he never went to see Joey Janela because he's the bad boy. Okay. What? I mean, it, didn't you learn that at MLW fusion? Yes. And he smokes very, well, very bad. Hmm. Let's talk about in your house, February 18th from Louisville. Yokozuna beat Davy boy Smith here. It only gets a star sort of a weird deal here in this match where <laughs> Clarence Mason is involved here. This was like a fucking rib. Why is that a rib? Clarence Mason, a damn attorney. One of the best damn attorneys that ever read a writ or ever wrote a writ. Yeah. We'll get it right. It one was of written these. in a right. Let's fast forward to WrestleMania 12. It goes down March 31st. Vader and Owen Hart and Davy boy would team up to beat Jake Roberts, Ahmed Johnson and Yokozuna. It only gets two and a half stars. This feels like a hodgepodge. We got all these guys. Let's fucking put them together. Right? <laughs> yes, it is. And it's trying to, you know, the, the whole thing with Ahmed Johnson and, and putting him with Jake was a way to hopefully teach Ahmed and put Ahmed under the learning tree with Jake, having him out there every night. And being able to put him in the ring with workers like Davey, Owen, and Vader. So there was actually a method to our madness. It was a hodgepodge, but there was a reason behind the hodgepodge. It makes the observer, and this is some weird shit here, on April 29th. Speaking of Smith, one of the sleaziest things WWF has done in a while was on the April 15th Raw, where they did a 900-line tee, saying to call to find out what Davey Boy Smith and Magic Johnson have in common Besides both being professional athletes, naturally, this started the rumor mill going that Smith was HIV positive, which of course isn't the case. Any memories of this? Uh, and what, what exactly was that revelation? They both liked women. I suppose. 
Okay. Well, uh, this takes us to in your house, April 28th in Omaha and Davy boy and Owen would beat Jake Roberts and Ahmed Johnson here, uh, star in three quarters. This feels like paint by numbers at this time. Not a very interesting time in bulldogs career. Let's get going on May 11th and May 12th. They do the, the Kuwaiti cup. Brett would beat the bulldog on May 11th. And then on the 12th, Brett and the undertaker would beat Owen and the bulldog. What can you tell us about the Kuwaiti cup here in 1996? <laughs> the the Kuwaiti Cup and I don't I I'm trying to I may have my years mixed up because one year we had Tiger Ali Singh that's ninety seven yeah okay he was Kuwaiti champion one time and then we had Ahmed Johnson I guess here that's right to be the yeah to be the Kuwaiti Cup champion it's a very prestigious championship especially in Kuwait but it was one of those where it was kind of like the Saudi Arabia deal, but it was a, it was a great tournament and a great uh, opportunity to make some good guaranteed money. So let's talk about what you guys decide to do that may you're going to put the British bulldog back into the world title picture. This time with Shawn Michaels, who of course has just beaten Bret Hart, but this time the storyline is going to be that Michaels has tried to come on to Diana Davies wife and allegedly Davey nor Diana are comfortable with this. And I think at the time I was thinking it was just because, you know, we're talking about maybe a woman being questioned as to whether or not she was faithful, not really putting together that that's sort of the reason that that motherfucker got his ass beat in Calgary. Does Vince want sort of art to imitate life here? And is that why they're uncomfortable? What can you tell us about this? No, you know, this whole the whole scenario and the entire, the entire angle and the entire time was you ever talk to a dog? No. Yeah. Come on. You talk to your dog once in a while and have conversations with him. Conversations. Yes. I, okay. But you know, your dog doesn't really understand what you're saying to him. It's kind of like, you know, and, and, that's what it felt like through the entire scenario because I can lay out the entire, you know, the entire scenario for you. We were starting an issue with Bulldog and Sean. The idea behind it was that Bulldog and Diana and Diana came to us. She wanted to be involved in a storyline. She was Mrs. Calgary of that year. They had a competition, uh, a competition for married women and, and, uh, in Calgary, she was Mrs. Calgary. All right. Beautiful woman. And she wanted to be involved in the storyline. Well, storyline we came up with was one that she accuses Sean of coming on to her and Sean denies it says, you know, Hey, it never happened. Blah, blah, blah. And Sean, trying to portray him as a baby face just says, Hey, it never happened. And you know, you don't want me to say what really happened. That makes you think, Oh, something happened. What, what are they talking about? What is it that Sean's referring to? So, you know, something happened, but you don't know what And bulldog and uh, Diana continue on with this thing to where finally we're going to say, we have the footage and you have a camera that shows from the camera angle that we have that it appears that Sean 
is kissing Diana and coming on to Diana. All this goes on and on, and Sean's trying to defend himself. It's falling on deaf ears until finally it's revealed, and you get the other side of it, that it's actually Davy Boy and Diana in cahoots that Diana is coming on to Sean to throw him off of his game and to go with this whole lawsuit thing and, and uh, alienation of, an, of uh, affection. I don't know what the hell it was, but it was something to where they were going to accuse Sean of coming on to Diana and so on and so forth. And it was a mind game thing that Davy and Diana were in on it and they were trying to throw Sean off of his game mentally. That was the story. It got blown out of proportion in that, oh, so you want Diana to come on to Sean? It's like, no, we want Diana to pretend like she's coming on to Sean. But you're in it together. You're sending her to go do your dirty work. So Diana's a whore. No, she's playing mind games on Sean. You're fucking with him to try and get inside of his head, get him off his game so you can win the title. You want her involved. You want her to be a part of the storyline. This is how what we have. And, and we're in it, and we're starting to do stuff, and they just didn't get it. They just didn't get it. Um, yeah, this is where the, the whole rib with Owen Hart and them being on the phone with Stu and Cornette thought that it was Owen on the other side. And so he gets on the phone and he's like, hey, Stu, I'll tell you what we're going to do with Diana. By God, we're going to bend her over and we're going to do this. And Sean's going to have his way with her. And we're going to just goddamn Peter is a fucking whore all over the. And Owen walks in the room and Cornette sees that it's not Owen. He may actually be talking to Stu Hart. I walk in the room. He goes, and it's that motherfucker Bruce Pritchard's ID. Anyway, here he is. I get on the phone. I have no idea what has happened before this. But Davy had called Stu upset and talking about the angle. I get on the phone with Stu and I'm like, hey, Stu, how you doing? Yeah, you some kind of pervert or, or something that you want my, uh, my daughter to, to, to be in bed with Shawn Michaels? What the hell are you guys doing over there? Uh, let me tell you. And I'm looking around the room going, what the fuck? What, what, what did you guys tell Sue? So it, it got blown way, way out of proportion. And it was just a, I guess a lack of communication, not a lack of communication. By God. I mean, Vince and I tried ad nauseum to, to sit Davy and Diana down and say, this is what we want to do. And they took it away that you want Diana to come on to Sean. No, we want you to pretend like you're coming on to Sean. So you want Diana to act like she's sleeping with Sean? It just, it was like talking to a wall. Let's talk about it in your house, but we're a dog. We covered this in our archives. We'll keep it brief here. Of course they had to do this match twice because, uh, the lights went out fun story here. Two and a half stars. Of course we know Sean wins at this point. There's no consideration. I mean, you guys are all aboard the Sean train. Um, there can't have been even a, a breath of what if bulldog wins here, right? 
No, there wasn't. And it was, again, trying to fur- further that storyline and, and move on. No, Sean was the guy and, and Vince was planning on him for the long haul. And so allegedly, you know, this Clarence Mason thing, they just step away from this whole, uh, lawsuit aspect. Is this to make things easy on, right? Yeah, because they didn't get it and we couldn't get to where we wanted to go. Right. The, 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 the whole basis of this thing was Clarence Mason had a tape and the tape is, uh, looks like Sean is coming on and kissing Diana. And to them, they're like, so you want Diana to kiss Sean? No, <laughs> it's no, you're, cu- ah, you're pretending you're playing pretend here. You're setting him up. It's a ruse. So, eh, uh, you want, uh, that Sean Michaels fella to, eh, uh, do what to my daughter? You pervert. Stu Hart actually called me a pervert. Really? Yeah. But Hey, I mean, he knew, he knew you well. Well, you know. I mean, I'm a good authority. You actually watched the Sunny porn. I watched it in your home, and you were able to pull that thing up in about eight seconds. Well. And then, and then you were able to queue up. No, 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 no. But wait, watch this. Watch this and listen carefully. <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. She pooted and you queued it up. Because it was fucking hilarious. And you know it was. Yeah, no, hey, hey, Ricky Bobby, don't put that on me. Don't put that on me, Ricky Bobby. Uh-uh. You sick bastard. So let's talk about it. Allegedly, two days after the uh the pay-per-view match here. McMahon gets word that Davy boy has given his 90 day notice and he's planning to leave, uh, and head over to WCW and allegedly, uh, his contract's a little different. It's supposed to expire at the end of August and Meltzer would write, unlike previous notices with hall Nash and Ted DiBiase, this wasn't the case of another performing, giving notice as to prelude to signing a contract with WCW. He apparently gave notice as a way to renegotiate his contract before it expired. Is that the way that you remember the story going down? How do you hear about it? Um, what does Vince say? Carry us through this situation where it looks like bulldogs on his way out. Okay. Well, first of all, bulldogs contract was not different than anybody's contract. Everybody had a contract that there was a period. Well, what I mean is like over. the way it was handled in terms of, Hey, I'm putting in my notice cause I'm gone here. It's I'm putting in my notice. I mean, I haven't got a deal yet. I'm trying to get more money here to stay. Right. Because the contract had an automatic renewal. If you didn't give notice that you didn't want it to renew. Um, if you ask me, I thought it was great business on Bulldog's part. Right. What wasn't good business was letting us know. He sent it to the office and he had his, his attorney. Um, how do I say this? Uh, so I don't get sued. I, I, I didn't care. For, let me, I didn't care for his attorney. Let's put it that way. Uh, Vince didn't care for his attorney. So his attorney had sent in and we got word, I think while we were at TV, but we weren't at the office when it came in and they read it to Vince and Vince was like, it was just with Davey. Why, why didn't he tell us face to face? 
Again, I applaud Bulldog for how he handled it in saying ahead of time, well ahead of time, that, hey, I don't want to renew this deal. I want to renegotiate and I want to look at a new deal. I'd like to stay, but I also want to explore my options. And since it says I have to give notice, I'm giving you plenty of notice in advance. Let's talk. So I applaud him for that. Well, um, how was Vince handling it? You know, at this point, he sees the NWO shit happening on the other channels. Scott Hall's just showed up and Ted's on his way out. We don't know what Ted's going to do yet, but we know he's going to WCW, but we don't know how or for what. And all of a sudden Hall is making it look like we're invading. He has to be a little nervous about this, especially by the time they actually meet on June the 6th at the office. And Davy boy would say, Hey, I have a big money deal from WCW and he's got to feel like oh, fuck, I'm going to lose another one, and they're just going to use him right against me with this fake invasion angle that I'm going to have to sue the fuck out of him for, right? Knee-jerk reaction, Vince was pissed. Right. And Vince was pissed just, I guess, in the way that it was done with the notice and Davey not telling him up front. And, hell, yeah, we were worried because we didn't want to lose another one, and it was going to be looking like all of our top guys were leaving us and going to WCW. Now, here's the hitch in all of this. I don't believe that Bulldog had a real offer from WCW, and I think that, again, smart. Um, I think he just used that to say that he had an offer uh, to bring us to the table and, and maybe fight a little harder than had WCW not been there and been in the position they were with the NWO at the time. Let's get to King of the Ring 96. Goes down on June 23rd in Milwaukee. Sells out in three weeks in advance. And on the match, or on the show, we've got Shawn Michaels working with Davey Boy again. Shawn wins in 26 minutes and 25 seconds. Uh, Meltzer really high on the match. Gave it four and a quarter stars. We get the silly finish here that we've covered before. Cause this is an episode we've talked about in long form. It's something to wrestle.com. what do you think of the match? It feels like Sean is, uh, on quite the streak here with bulldog with good matches. I, I can't, you know, for the life of me, I was racking my brand brain, trying to think of a bad Sean bulldog match. They had chemistry. They worked really well together. And I thought this match was, was a hell of a match. Like I said, we've, we've talked about it a lot of times before, but they had one hell of a match. Yes. We're going to talk about this one briefly in your house. International incident goes down on July 21st in Vancouver, Vader, Davy boy, and Owen Hart beat Shawn Michaels, Ahmed Johnson, and a returning psycho Sid. Of course, that was originally supposed to be the ultimate warrior. The bad guys get the win in 24 minutes and 32 seconds. I assume the thinking here is let's do this July pay-per-view to essentially build some heat for our big August pay-per-view for more money, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you're, you're looking at it, putting all these guys together, and it was to continue on. But also Vince was looking at it in Bulldog in particular, saying, all right, you know, what are we going to do with him moving forward? And how do we get him in a position where Davey can make more money and we can put him in a position to make more money for the company? So a lot of it was positioning as well. 
SummerSlam 96 also covered before psycho Sid would beat Davy boy in six minutes and 24 seconds. Uh, he gets the win with the choke slam just gets a star. It's sort of interesting here. You know how Bulldog's sort of bouncing around. He's headlined back to back pay-per-views challenging for the world title. Then he does a six man in the main event. And now he's doing a clean job to sit. It does feel like, uh, you know, he's losing a little bit of traction here. Would you, is that fair to say or not so much? It was more in that particular instance. It was more a way of Sid is back and I've got to get Sid over and I've got to put Sid in a position as well. Was there any concern that, Hey, on the off chance, we can't work this deal out that we need to, uh, we need to beat him on pay-per-view. Like in my head, it's like, you know what? If this fucker's really leaving, he's not winning on the way out. Let's beat him with our returning big guy. You know, by this time for us, I think we were feeling pretty confident that, you know, Bulldog was here and he had given us every indication that he was going to stay and that he was happy with everything that had been offered. So that wasn't it as much as it was. Goddamn, Sid's back and we need to give him a good win over a good, you know, top guy. So in, in Vince's head, that was it. But I'm sure at the same time, you don't want to give him a win on the way out either if, if he is going to go and he hadn't signed yet. He does actually wind up signing, um, four days before nitro. And a lot of people are suggesting that maybe he's going to be the latest member of the NWO that falls through, of course. So they turn the giant and the giant joins instead, allegedly signed a five year, $250,000 downside guarantee. And the original offer made months prior to that was a three-year deal at $400,000. What do you remember about sort of going back and forth with the money, the dates, what were the sticking points in this negotiation to the best of your recollection? There, you know, the money was the big one. And the other part of it, I think was schedule as well, because WCW was offering similar money for a lighter schedule. Um, I don't believe, and we didn't, and we, we called their bluff, uh, as far as what they said they were getting with WCW Vince held firm and Vince held firm with what he was going to offer bulldog. Um, it was, it was more than anything, a gut telling us that bulldog ain't going anywhere. Uh, he's, he's bluffing and Vince called his bluff and he stayed. He didn't want, you know, I think there was a feeling that he really didn't want to go. He just wanted some love. He wanted some attention and he wanted more money and he got more money. He got more money guaranteed than what he had had before. But if, you know, if it's true, you know, think about it for a second. So you're saying that we offered him 250, but WCW offered him 400 for less dates. If that was true and he was really offered that, why wouldn't he have gone and done that? It makes no sense at all. If you really have that, then go, go take it. We applaud you. Allegedly, one of the sticking points is Smith is unhappy about his creative because he feels like he's had two of the best three matches over the last nine months, which would be the title match with Brett and Hershey. And then, you know, the Shawn Michaels one and Milwaukee. 
And he doesn't feel like he was properly rewarded because in neither case was he programmed for rematches at the house shows, which would have given him more money. I think sometimes we sort of gloss over that, but the higher up the you are on the card on the house shows, the more money you make, right, Bruce? Without a doubt. And if you, you draw more, you draw more asses, put more asses in seats and you draw more pay-per-view buys and you're going to make more money, not just for you, but for everybody. Meltzer would write the other side of the coin was that even though he had two excellent title matches, neither drew huge buy rates and Smith was thought of as a guy who can be a great worker when he's motivated, but not a great draw as a title challenger. Is that fair to say? It is. I think that's very fair to say. And you know, bulldog was still, I mean this, the whole Diana angle, Davey was still holding on to that. Uh, Fulton didn't like you're going to have my wife. And it, it was, he kept going back to that and he kept going back to, um, wanting to be featured. And it's like, you know, Davey, we did feature you. We, we even involved your wife. Like you asked us to, and we got a story and it was a good story. We're trying here, but you got to work with us, man. Um, and I think Davey was just looking for some love. I really didn't think he was just looking for somebody to, to say they cared and, and to give him a pat on the ass. Apparently, uh, WCW shoots an angle on August 26th, where they're talking about debuting, you know, number four and number five in the NWO. And allegedly people believe in WCW that Smith is number four because he's given a verbal. And when Vince McMahon gets wind of this two days later, on the 28th, he makes a phone call to Smith along with the attorney McDivitt and finally reaches him the next day and is furious with him. And the bone of contention apparently is that Smith had given a verbal agreement to continue with the WWF in fact, and to sign a five-year contract, even though he had not actually signed, but there was a verbal in place. Do you remember bulldog trying to back out of a verbal agreement where Vince thought he had it? And he felt like maybe Davey was playing games with him. Well, there was a lot of, there was a lot of rumor and innuendo out there. And there were a lot of people, uh, talking about, oh yeah, he's going here. He's doing this. And bulldog had not yet signed. He did verbally commit and he did say, agree to everything. So when you're hearing all this noise on the outside, Vince was like, damn it, you got to commit and you got to sign. Uh, I'm, I'm tired of going back and forth. We have agreed on everything. We've got all this done. And again, I go back you know, to, the, to that same thing. If there really was a deal on the other side, why didn't he take it? If it was so great, why didn't he take it? And that, you know, we, we had that and that was pissing Vince off. Shit or get off the pot. Um, either, either sign it or go do what you're going to do. Allegedly Smith feels betrayed because when he made this verbal agreement, he was told that he would be pushed as a top heel. And basically he's just been doing quickie jobs for Sid and, and essentially squash matches on house shows was creative that big of a deal to Davey, because it, it certainly comes up on the observer a lot that that was really the crux of the issue. And that feels like a, a Bret Hart thing more so than a Davey boy thing, but. Maybe it is. 
God, it, you know, like I said, it, it, it all went back. It still all went back to the, to but the Diana, Diana thing wow. and not knowing uh, and, and him going, him coming in and saying when he verbally gave his commitment, but then he didn't sign and he, and he was playing games and his life. And I don't even know. And again, cause I don't know that Davey, Davey, unfortunately would listen and react from whoever he spoke to last. And his attorney was um, just, he gave attorneys a bad name. He was one of those attorneys. So he was stirring that pot and, in my opinion, giving Davey some, some bad advice. And that's what pissed Vince off. And that did piss Vince off because it's like, okay, you've agreed. We've gone through all this bullshit, but you're still not putting pen to paper. Uh, either do it. Or go somewhere else. If if you're going to tell me that I have your word, and you're going to stay. Great, signed. And that's where that was that was the gist of it. Um, and then Davey, in my opinion, used the creative crap as an excuse. Um, and, and and to us, it all it all just kept going back to why am I not working with Sean? Why was my program cut with Sean? Program was cut with Sean because what we planned on doing to elongate that program you didn't want to do so we had to cut the program and move on that's why and and that's what he kept going back to and hanging his hat on well it's um it's a weird time here because in the middle of all this you know once you guys finally get him locked down you put the tag titles on him on september 22nd and in your house mind games owen and davy would beat the smoking guns in just about 11 minutes in a two and a quarter starter match, two and a quarter star match. Is this part of the negotiations or, Hey, thanks for staying. Here's your belt. Here's your fucking push. Well, no, once we, well, you know, once we had him, it's like, okay, now we can actually program him and we can actually do something with him. You know, that's, that's hard to do when you got a guy in limbo. Will he be here? Won't he be here? Well, let's do long-term planning on this guy, but I don't know if he's going to be here. Yeah. It's mental masturbation. Speaking of masturbation in your house, buried alive, Owen Hart and Davey boy retain the tag titles against the smoking guns. Sonny's there roll time, uh, two stars, um, smoking guns in a word. How would you describe them? Stud hokey, um, stud. <laughs> let's get to survive. Beefy. How about, how about beefy? Oh God. Listen to you. <laughs> Not beefy, but I thought you said beefing. Well, that was beefing earlier, but how about I'd give them beefy, beefy studs. You can't, you can't fucking, you know what? I feel like beefing is going to be a t-shirt soon enough. I, I don't know that we've talked about this enough. Tell me about your, uh, your, your shirts, motherfucker. Sell some shirts. Shield. I'm tired of doing all your selling. Well, but you're such a goddamn good salesman because right, of BrucePritchard.com, huh? Hang on. Nobody wants to hear from Bruce. Fuck Bruce. Put him away. I don't understand. Put this, who away? This is where you do voices and shit, dumbass. God damn it, pal. You mean like pronouns, pal? Yeah. Which is one of our top selling shirts over there. You get the pronouns, pal. And do, do, do. Whether you, you want it on a shirt. There you go. Just kind of like Bad Street USA. Do or it. you get it on a top-notch fanny pack. Yeah, do All it. over at BrucePritchard.com. There you go. Well, baby, 
If you want to be the second most recognizable athlete yeah. in the world, let the entire world know all about it over there at BrucePritchard.com. Well, you know, and I love you. Ribbon, brother. And fuck Dave Meltzer, FDM, by God, at BrucePritchard.com. All of them, don't you dare miss it. Eventually, in this calendar year. Dude, I'm damn near there. Damn near done. All right. There you go. A survivor series. I will call you. Okay. 1996, November 17th. Doug Furness, Phil LaFon, and the Godwins beat Owen and Davey and leave Cassidy and Marty Janetti three and a quarter stars. They really liked it. Furness and LaFon were sort of relatively new to the company here. Of course, Al Snow in here as uh, Leaf Cassidy. Lots of talent in this match. One of my more underrated pay per views, but it does feel like a, a once in a lifetime deal. I mean, Furnace, LaFon, Cassidy, Janetti, Owen, Davey, Hodgepodge little group here, but good stuff. You know, it was, and, and you look at Furnace and LaFon, and that was, those are a couple guys that came from the All Japan group and came over. They were highly recommended, helped start the whole ECW agreement with us to get them in. But what a lot of people don't know, also highly recommended by Davy Boy and Brett because they were also products of Calgary and have spent a lot of time in Calgary as well. Oh, man. You guys started to tease like a, a bit of some Owen Hart bulldog dissension in December. And um, I guess we should mention that the, you guys go over to Dubai and do a Middle Eastern Cup and Brett would be bulldog there. But around that same time, as I was mentioning, we start to see bulldog teasing a baby face turn. You know, he's trying to uh, stop some evil acts, you know, with this whole Austin and Brett and Owen deal. Well, what can you tell us here in, in late 1996, was it considered to turn him baby face? Because it certainly feels like you, you teased it a little bit. Well, we were teasing dissension in the family only to, we were teasing the turn, but it was all to ultimately get back to the family reunion and Brett and Owen and Davey and everybody hugging, kissing and, and making up in the, maybe, uh, bring that fucking, uh, rhino back in, you know, that big bastard, uh, he'd, he'd be good with them. In your house, it's time December 15th. Owen and Davey beat Razor and Diesel to retain the tag titles. Meltzer gave it two and a quarter stars. Of course, this is fake Diesel and fake Razor. Uh, this is, I mean, what the fuck is this doing on pay-per-view, dude? <laughs> We're proving a goddamn point. To who? To everybody, damn it. It's a legal argument. Yeah, it's Razor and Diesel are ours. E we own them, and they are WWE guys, and that's it, damn it. And if you're looking at the fake the fake ones, we're in WCW, by God. Drawing a bunch of money. Let's go to the Royal Rumble 1997, which we covered in the archives. Bulldog comes in at number eight, and he eliminates the Sultan before elim being eliminated by Owen. Um, I guess we'll fast forward. Shotgun Saturday night, February 1st. Mankind beat Bulldog. And then on Thursday, Raw Thursday on February 13th, Crush and Farouk would beat Owen and Bulldog by countout. So Owen and Bulldog retain. And that gets us over to In Your House 4. Um, no, I'm sorry, not 4, Final 4 on February 16th in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where Owen and Davey would retain against Furnace and LaFon. 
Meltzer right here. Hart and Smith had been something of a disappointment as a team in that while they usually had decent matches, they were more talented than what they showed in the match when it came to talent. And they should show that they're the best team in the country. And that would have still been close to that level, but it's because the tag team scene in the U S is so weak. So he didn't really think these guys were working their ass off, but he thought this match was tremendous. He gave it three and a quarter stars, even though it's a silly DQ type deal. What'd you think? Well, you know, it, it's interesting. It, the words he chooses because furnace and Lafon were a product of all Japan. So of course he's going to love them because, Oh my God, they're all Japan guys. Oh, how great they are. Um, if anybody was a, a disappointment, unfortunately, uh, furnace and Lafon were, they, they just didn't click really with anybody, but bulldog and, and Owen, because they had worked previously and they had similar styles and they, they gelled well. Um, so it just w- was another notch in a way to, to build equity, more equity in the team of, of Owen and Bulldog. And I thought that they were a hell of a team. Um, I guess we should mention here that you guys did uh, a pretty fun thing over in Europe on March 3rd. And this was taped, but it was still awesome. Bulldog beat Owen in the tournament finals to win the European title. Now, remember, they're the tag champs here. But now they've got to face each other and it's happening in Europe and bulldog becomes the very first European champion. This is good stuff. I remember where I was watching this match. I remember like it was yesterday. Is this a Vince McMahon idea? Who's in favor of having a European champion? How does that belt come to be? What's the thinking and putting Owen and, and bulldog in the finals. Where were you when this happened? Uh, I watched it at my home at three thirty eight Pine Needle Trace in Gunnersville, Alabama. And I watched nice. it I watched it upstairs in my room and um I remember like the shot of this is much different. Like the way this was shot compared to a traditional Monday Night Raw, I don't know if that was because of the camera setup or the building setup or there was just smoke in the arena or the quality of the video wasn't as good, but the presentation was a little different from the way it was done here in the States. And how old were you? I would have been 15 years old. I would have turned 16 a few months later. Holy cow. Well, the, uh, idea behind the European championship was we were looking to do more international touring and Vince wanted to have a championship that was unique to Europe, something that would be special that could headline tours over there if you didn't have the champion uh what have you so it was just to create something something different and create something for those european tours and vince felt that the logical person at that time was davy boy to be the first european champion now as far as getting to the tournament and how we ended up with owen and bulldog was again you had mentioned it earlier the dissension between Bulldog and Owen, and the fact that they were tag team champions and brother-in-laws. Just thinking that this would be a good story, get them, you know, go through the whole thing, and then it's like that what-if moment, you know, the the two brother-in-laws facing off for the championship, and what's going to happen? Excellent, excellent match. 
with the two guys, but it made you think and it kept driving people to, oh, they're going to do the split. This is this is where it's going to happen. They're going to do the blow up and it never happens. So it was it was a way to create a new championship uh, to help us on our international tours. And as far as doing the whole Owen Bulldog deal, continue that story of, of what if and put more equity in the uh, tag team champions. I guess what I wanted to know is like the actual belt. You know, we, we know I'm a belt nerd. This European title just sort of shows up out of thin air and it's not a Reggie Parks made belt. How, how does the design and I mean, this belt just all of a sudden shows up. It's pretty unique too, because I think it's like green on one side and red on the other. It's, it's a different looking belt. Well, we had recently looked at redesigning all of the championships. So they put it out to different vendors and Jamar was chosen. I, he wasn't the only one. I know Reggie bid on it as well, but they were looking for, you know, some different looks, creative services, did the drawings, Vince picked which ones he liked and we were off to the races. But I think it was during the same time that we redesigned the intercontinental championship. And, um, I don't know if we did the, I, we may have done the tag team titles at that time too. I feel like we should, um, talk about belts, like a whole episode sometime. Let's, let's keep going here. Let's get to WrestleMania 13. Owen and Davy boy would retain the tag titles, go into a double count out with Vader and mankind. And it's two and a half stars. I guess what's weird about this to me is why do you have two heel tag teams in a match here? Who booked this shit? I booked that shit. Uh, <laughs> Why not? You take you take two big tough bastards with Vader and Mankind, and they're managed by Paul Bear against the evil genius of Jim Cornette with Owen Hart and Davy Boy Smith. It was unique, and it was something that you wouldn't expect. And for people to say, "Why the hell are you booking this shit?" But it was also something. Why wouldn't you book it when you look at the team? of Vader and mankind, because that's somebody that you could believe could be the tag team champions. So it could happen on the March 31st raw. We see bulldog versus Owen open up the show for the European title. They go about 14 minutes. And after a rep bump, Brett comes out and breaks the two of them up and does a lengthy interview, blaming the American wrestling fans for breaking up their family. Of course it ends with all three of these guys hugging and they reform the heart foundation, pretty amazing. The run these guys are about to go on. How did these guys feel about being put back together? God, they, you know, they loved it. I think it was, you can liken it to a, to a happy family reunion. And I think that Brett really, really enjoyed being back with Owen. Um, that dynamic, but, but being on the same time uh, or on the same side now and not being against each other, the, the dynamic was there. They, they were family and you felt it. They worked great together as a team and it was a way to bring that whole heart foundation. And we fell into that, man. That wasn't, that, that was a happy accident. That wasn't something that we laid out in advance, but when you started getting those reactions from people and in Canada and America, um, we fell into, into some great storytelling there. 
Let's get to in your house. Takers revenge it goes down on April 20th. The LOD would beat the tag champs by DQ, uh, three quarters of a star. Was everybody sort of excited about LOD being back or was it something where, I mean, their entire run here in 97 is just kind of a mess. We were excited. You know, we were excited because of the, you know, the reputation and just the, the legend of LOD. However, it wasn't the, you know, wasn't the LOD of old. It was unfortunately just old LOD. And they weren't fitting with, with the new, the new group of talent that we had. Let's talk about, you know, what's next, because it feels like this is, uh, something we could spend a lot of time on if we're really, if we're really dedicated it to a heart foundation episode, but I'm going to bounce around a little bit. The April 28th, uh, show ends with undertaker and bulldog and the end of the match. We see Austin attack Brett, who's in a wheelchair after knee surgery and Neidhart returns to the company and attacks Austin. And we're sort of off to the races here where Steve Austin's working with bulldog, uh, the very next week. And then through all the house shows, we see lots of stuff with Austin and different various members, um, of the heart foundation, including, you know, of course, bulldog, let's get the king of the ring 97, where we've got Owen Hart and Jim Neidhart and Davey boy Smith taking on psycho Sid and Legion of doom and the heart foundation actually get, get the win here. And Owen will get credit in the observer for carrying the match to a star and three quarters match. This is really when you guys are just getting heated up. Of course, this is June. We know what's coming in July. By this point, you guys really know you have something with the heart foundation and it's time to put them over as top guys, right? Well, and the beautiful thing about it is, is you could put anybody from that entire heart foundation group against anybody that came from America and you had instant heat and you had an instant match. So it was, it was simple booking and it worked. It was working. It was a hell of a patriotic, good feeling on both sides of the border. On the way here, you've got undertaker working with bulldog. And of course, undertaker would win, but every other time bulldogs winning, whether it means he's beaten mankind or he's beaten Sid, we know what happens at the Calgary pay-per-view, the Canadian stampede. Uh, it's available in our archives, a tremendous match, arguably one of the best matches that you'll see on a WWF pay-per-view, just a tremendous show. It gets four and a quarter stars. The crowd makes it, uh, but there's a string of really great matches in 97 in the WWF. But if you took out the WrestleMania match with Austin and Brett, and you took out the hell in a cell with undertaker and Sean, this is probably the best match of the year. Is it not? Well, it, not only that, I think it is probably one of the best best cards of the year as well, from from top to bottom, and the energy and the stories behind it. Yes, it was that damn good, and that's one that you have to go out of your way to go back and watch just to feel the energy of that night. The next night, man, they are cooking with gas in Edmonton. Vince introduces Brett to this very ring. Of course, he's wearing an Edmonton Oilers jersey underneath his leather jacket. A hero's welcome. He does the whole America love it or leave it promo. He's putting over Canada in a big way here, man. And the crowd is eating it up. And one by one, he introduces all the members of the heart foundation. Um, of course, eventually Steve Austin comes out of nowhere. It destroys the whole thing. And, uh, the crowd is just white hot for this. 
when is this when you guys realized man we have got to double down on this you know america canada angle well you know i mean just the whole way getting into this everywhere we went it was just that feeling of patriotism no matter where the hell you were and feeling this when you've got the hero stone cold and they're booing the shit out of him in because of the country and where they are magic just magic on the july 14th raw the heart foundation actually start giving stipulations for all their matches where brett says if he loses the world title uh, he'll never wrestle in the united states again and owen says if austin uh, loses then he's gonna have to kiss his ass at SummerSlam. bulldog says if he doesn't beat shamrock he'll eat a can of dog food Pillman talks about the dress thing with Goldust. It's just one thing after another, uh, including Jim Neidhart saying, if anybody of the Hart Foundation squad loses, he'll shave his goatee off the very next night. While these stipulations, who was a big fan of, let's go out here and sort of draw the line in the sand and I'll make promises. God damn, if a match doesn't have a stipulation, nobody gives a fuck. There was, there was so much going on with, with the Hart Foundation in, in, in America and us versus them. Um, yeah, I think we might have overstipulated a little bit, you think? Yeah, it certainly feels that way. But either way, <laughs> we know what happens. Uh, we'll get there in just a minute, though. We've got uh, a flag match on the July 21st Raw it's Bulldog Owen and Brett beating Austin Love and Undertaker. Um, Brett grabs Canada's flag, of course, to win the match. The next week in Pittsburgh, Shamrock and Bulldog have an arm wrestling match, and Bulldog headbutts Shamrock, destroys him with the chair, and pours dog food all over him. What the fuck is this dog food shit? Where'd, where'd you guys get the dog food? And dog food is us, or uh, us. Is, and, is this uh, when Russo's starting to book some? Um, what year are we here? Maybe a little bit, but no, this was, this was still some of us. Hey, back in the day, dog food, eating dog food, dog food matches were over. Over with who? Oh, the crowd. That was, that was a big deal, man. The loser has to eat dog food. SummerSlam. JYD, big shit, man. August 3rd. I'm sure you do have a big shit after you eat dog food. SummerSlam, August 3rd, 1997. Davy Boy retains by DQ. Uh, star and three quarters. Um, it's, it's sort of a, a weird deal where Shamrock bleeds from, bleeds from the mouth, apparently from a stiff clothesline. That's according to the Observer. Smith threw dog food on Shamrock again, which caused him to go wild. He hit Sm- Smith with the dog food can outside the ring for the DQ. And then eventually, uh, Patterson and Briscoe and all those guys come in and everybody gets suplexes. How did Bulldog like working with Ken Shamrock? Um, you know, uh, I don't know that Bulldog enjoyed it as much <laughs> as everybody else. Bulldog was a worker, and Kenny, Kenny could be snug, and Kenny would go out there, and, man, I think Davey liked it to be a little bit lighter than Shamrock was at times, and um, I don't know that they really loved working together that much. 
let's uh let's keep rolling here at the end of august bulldog is successfully defending the european title on a lot of house shows against mankind and dude love uh and that's going to get us to ground zero in your house september 7th the headbangers finally are the people who topple the your tag team champions owen hart and davy boy smith it's a four corners elimination match with the godwins lod Owen and Davey and Meltzer didn't love it. He gave it a dud. What'd you think of the match here? And why was the decision made to pull the belts off of Owen and bulldog and give it to the fucking headbangers? It feels like if they're hot, why cut their knees out from under them? Because it's not cutting their knees out from under them. Vince didn't think that they needed the championships. And he thought that if you got the headbangers and he was looking to do a new tag team and kind of put some steam on the headbangers, if they're going to get over Let's put the titles on them, give them an opportunity, and just not thinking that uh, Bulldog and Owen really needed the titles anymore. And let's move them on to something else. And it was a way to get the headbangers over. They do a September 8th Raw where there's supposed to be a triangle match with Helmsley, Patriot, and Bulldog. But Helmsley and Michaels attack Bulldog and destroy his bad knee. And nobody saves Bulldog since this is an angle where he's a baby face for the one night only pay-per-view in England. Uh, let's get to that, which is just major, major heat. It's September 20th, 1997. They're going to go 24 minutes again. It's Shawn Michaels working with bulldog and it's a lot of chemistry here, man. It's a big finish. Sean gets the title. The crowd goes bananas. What'd you think of the match and the heat afterwards? And I guess we should mention that, um, supposedly this is something that Sean gets a little heat for because he goes in and changes the finish or convinces Vince to change the finish. Allegedly, this was supposed to be a bulldog win. That's the rumor and innuendo clear that up for us, Bruce. Well, I think a lot of people thought it was going to be a bulldog win and they thought that, you know, the logical thing you're in the UK and bulldogs defending the championship, he's got to win. He's got to go over, you know, he's, he's the big name in the UK. When you take that logic and you look at it and you look at what you want to do going forward, if you want heat, then don't do what everybody is expecting you to do and what everybody, you know, like I say, everybody thought that that was going to be the finish. So you go the other way and you go with heat and it got the exact desired effect that we were looking for. And while, you know, you talk about what are we going to do in that match? Well, we're thinking about having Bulldog go over. By the time you get there, it's like, what if Sean went over? God damn, that'd be hot. Things change. So it's not a big conspiracy theory. It's not a big, you know, oh my God, they fucked Bulldog. It was for heat. It was for a story. Brent Hart would write in his book that the original plan was supposed to be bulldog going over, but the day of the show, Michael's got a change to him going over and winning the title. And, you know, allegedly Sean and Vince changed the outcome. And Brett says that Davey is devastated. Supposedly Brett said when Vince or Pat would give him finishes for his match at this time, Sean and triple H were always there to oversee. Do you want to respond to that? I, I think that I, I think that's absolutely just silly, and I think that's just sour grapes on Brett's part. Um, winning and losing, goddamn, it's a story. It's not real, folks. And 
again, I, I don't know how you, how you respond to something that's just not true and not and, and silly when you, you hear it come out. It's not true. I don't ever remember every time that Pat would give a finish to Brett that Sean and Triple H had to oversee it. That's just simply not true. Sean actually wrote about this in his book, and he said, if you want some heat, have me screw him in his hometown, end quote. He says, it's my understanding that Brett really got him wound up about losing in his hometown. For Brett, the important thing uh, was not about what was right for business, but about looking like the good guy in the eyes of the wrestling industry. And Diana Hart was actually on Inside the Ropes in June of 2012. And she says, you have to do what you're told. I thought those bastards, why are they doing this to him? And in England, where does it leave him? And she sort of theorizes that maybe it was connected to the Montreal screw job. And she says, I thought she was unnecessarily rough with me. I know China is strong, but I felt like she was unnecessarily aggressive with me. So she feels like she's been sort of isolated and picked on. Uh, what's your reaction to Diana's comments here? Well, first of all, let me preface this by saying that Diana Hart was probably one of my favorite hearts. Um, always had a smile on her face. Absolutely pleasant as could be. And, and I like Diana a lot. However, um, I think that those comments are absurd. Uh, as far as, you know, where does it leave him? It leaves him with a story. It leaves, it leaves Bulldog with a story and, being screwed in his hometown and being screwed in his home country. Now he's got a story and he's got something to come back and fight for. That's what we do. We write stories and it's drama. So to that, I say it's silly to think that this was tied to the Montreal screw job. Um, that is just conspiracy theory stuff. Somebody with way too much time on their hands that, Again, that goes back to the other one of, of just absolutely no truth whatsoever in it and just searching to, to try and figure things out to make it fit your own narrative. Meltzer said the explanation, which made and still makes logical business sense, is that they wanted to build to a bigger show, a second pay-per-view from Smith's hometown of Manchester, England, where Smith would regain the title. The same scenario the WWF did to draw 60,000 fans in San Antonio with Michaels in the other role, working a program with Psycho Sid. So while it all made sense, it was rather strange that he wasn't approached with this idea until the start of the show. Brett would write, Vince, Briscoe, Sean, and Hunter took great delight in intentionally designing a finish that made me and Owen look like total idiots. For the entire, ma for the entire match, we were nowhere in sight as Hunter, China, and Rude worked Davey over while the British fans waited for the Hart Foundation to rescue him. Brett says, as I pretended to help the wounded Davy back to the dressing room, we passed Davy's sister, Tracy, who was terribly upset and crying. I thought in wrestling, you never make a promise. You can't deliver. I saw the light die in Davy's eyes that day, darkness seeping out of the heart, giving out. What's, what's the, the mood backstage. It does feel a little divisive. At least when you read these type of comments. As far as you knew, was everybody okay? Or could you tell that this was not going over well? Well, as far as, you know, Davey not winning. And when he found out that day that he wasn't going over, he was like, you know, what the hell? Why am I not going over? Um, but other than that, there, there is no mood backstage. There is no, everybody's upset. 
it's business. It's a story, folks. And I just think that's a case of taking things way, way too seriously. The fact that Davy's sister was crying and upset, man, that tells you how good of a story it is. That those that know and that are in the know are upset and, and that they're crying. To me, that's a pretty damn good story. And that's emotion. And that's what we try and elicit from people with storylines like that is emotion. You want to be sad. You want to feel for the baby face. And I, I, I can't think of, of ever a time in my life ever trying to come up with a, with a storyline and say, Let, let's, let's come up with a finish that's going to make uh, somebody not involved in the match look like an idiot. Sorry, but that doesn't enter the thought process. Let's get to bad blood. October 5th, 1997, Bret Hart and Davy boy beat Vader and the Patriot. It's the flag match. What'd you think of this? And I guess the bigger question is, did you ever talk to Davy about Brian's passing? You know, um, yeah, Davy, Davy and Owen, uh, especially that day, it, it hit him hard. Uh, Brian was, you know, like a family member to him and, I remember Davey, you know, being one of the ones that had been concerned prior to Brian's passing of, you know, maybe Brian is just kind of falling off, you know, falling off the wagon here and, and maybe he needs some help. And he was one of those guys that had come forward. So it, it hit them all hard. And Brian was a family member. Let's talk about what's next. The next night on raw bulldog beat Rocky Maivia, And then he went to a, a no contest with dude love on October 20th. He beat, or he lost to Vader in a dog collar match on November 7th. And then that takes us to November 1997 survivor series, November 9th. And on the undercard, we're going to get to the main event. Team Canada beat team USA. Canada is furnace and Lafon, Davey boy and Jim Neidhart. USA is Leon white. Dustin Runnels, Mark Merrow, and Steve Blackman. Uh, it gets two and a half stars. Not much to talk about, I suppose. Later on, we'd see Bulldog walking with Brett towards the ring for his match with Shawn Michaels. And allegedly, Bulldog and Owen thought they were going to be doing a run-in at the end, and they're waiting for Gorilla, or they're waiting for the signal from Gorilla, but it never comes. Instead, the Montreal Screwjob happens. And Davey Owen and Rick Rude are in the locker room when this famous confrontation happens between Brett and Vince. And allegedly Owen was about to leave when Davey grabbed him by the arm and told him, don't leave. Remember what happened to Bruiser Brody. And Brett says none of his guys left. And not long after this, he was trying to get out of his contract and trying to talk to Eric Bischoff before we talk about all of that. What do you remember about the Montreal screw job and bulldog that night? Well, again, I was, I was one at grill and I was there waiting for the exact same cue that bulldog and Owen were waiting on that never came. And they rang the bell and we're all like going, what the hell happened? And like, what happened? What happened? And we're all asking the same thing. And I remember Davey turning to bulldogs like they fucked him. They just fucked Brett. They fucked him They're like, well, what do we do? And I told them to go out to the ring. You know, they were supposed to be involved 
in the match. I had no idea what the hell was going on. Um, and I told them to go to the ring and they, they went to the ring. The interesting thing about, uh, him, him talking about, or whoever the hell said, don't leave. And that bulldog and Owen stayed in the locker room is bulldog and Owen met us on the way. They met us in the hallway when we were on our way to the locker room. So Bulldog and Owen both came to see Vince and they, they met us in the locker room and they turned and they came with us into the locker room where Brett was there. And you can even, I believe you can even see that on the wrestling with shadows with uh, Bulldog and Owen with Vince in the hallway there. So some of this stuff, man, when, when, when I hear it, it it's, it's mind boggling what what people say and, and, and their, their thoughts on things and, and that these conspiracy theories and, and all this other things that, that are allegedly say, what happened to Bruiser Brody? Oh, come on. What, what do they think that Vince is going to come in and, and, and kill him in a, in a shower? That's, that's ridiculous. If that even happened, I mean, to me, that's just ridiculous. I mean, you, s- you say it's ridiculous, but. I mean, this had never, I mean, this was unprecedented what happened and it wouldn't be too terribly long after this, you know, one of these guys who were there that night is going to jump in a, a casket and fuck a corpse, you know, dude, you're talking storyline. That's, that's it's, fucking just stupid too. <laughs> and, and I mean, that even make it, that's just, you know, that's fucking stupid, but that's where the people come up with this stupid shit that. None of my boys left, but yet in, in, in a documentary, you see them in the hallway where they left. Um, I don't know. I, I don't even know how to respond to that, that shit. To me, it's just, it, it's silly. The conspiracy theories and the, and the crazy things that are said sometimes. Yeah. Yep. Good. 150 grand is the number to get out of the contract. Do you remember that? Um, if he wanted to get out of his contract, I don't remember the exact number, but I do know that if he wanted to get out of his contract then he would pay the remainder to get out of his contract, we wanted out that bad. We didn't want him to go. Did you talk to him about any of this at all? I didn't talk to David boy, uh, after that night at all. I don't think. He winds up going to WCW, of course, and he stays until October of 98 at the fall ball, fall brawl pay-per-view in September of, uh, 98, he falls in the ring and lands on a trap door and the trap door, of course, is supposed to be used for warrior later in the show, but he lands wrong. And because of this, he winds up getting a spinal infection, which almost leaves him paralyzed. And he's in the hospital for something silly, like six months. And while he's in the hospital. Eric Bischoff FedExed him his termination papers. Uh, what Owen, an asshole. Owen and mankind visit him the same day and put Vince on the phone with him. And Vince told Davey, if he got clean, he'd have a job waiting for him. Do you remember hearing about that? I do. And, and we were, we were all concerned for Davey's well-being because, you know, it was a freak accident and there was concern, you know, shit. Hearing, you know, other than Owen, I don't, and, and Stu really, uh, 
the communication from that side of the family was was slim and none. So you're, you're hearing a lot of rumor and innuendo, and you're getting a lot of secondhand information from people. But there was concern, you know, as whether or not Davey was going to be able to walk and if he would be the same after this. And there was just concern with the infection uh, through the whole nine yards. So, yeah, Vince reached out to him uh, just to let him know that, hey, we're here. Get your shit together, and you've always got a home here. And that's how Vince felt about Davey. Owen Hart, of course, passed away on May 23rd, 1999. And Brett went on the offensive when Davey said that Owen's death was just an accident and it was nobody's fault. Brett contended, you know, who was Davey to say whose fault it was when the police were still investigating. And Davey vowed he'd return to the WWF and win a title in Owen's honor. Let's talk about him coming back in. It happens on August 12th in Stanford. As a reminder, Owen dies May 23rd. Davy boy signs August 12th. Um, supposedly they're going to start with some controversy because he and his wife, Diana do a lengthy interview with Jim Ross and Meltzer would freestyle. This apparently is designed to turn into a very controversial segment because it's to do, uh, supposed to be something of a shoot interview. What do you remember about the return, him signing, what that conversation looked like? You know, what was said about Owen? What wasn't said? What was his relationship with Brett like there? What are the concerns and, and the discussion that leads to him coming back here? Well, I don't think that anything was was said about Owen in the interview at all. I think that the majority of it was basically, you know, bulldog returning. And by having Diana there, that was from the, the Hart family deal. And, and with Brett being in WCW that, you know, we wanted to play off of a little bit of that old rivalry between Brett and bulldog, but it was a way to introduce bulldog back into the fold, remind everybody of the history with the hearts and the fact that he is indeed Stu Hart, son-in-law and play off of that. So that was what we were trying to do. And I think people thought that again, Melcher never saw the, the whole interview and he doesn't know what the hell was said or what wasn't said. And I think that that was speculation that people thought that we were trying to get the Owen thing when it was, you're just trying to remind people who the hell Davey is and get him back in the fold. Um, Meltzer would report that the promos that they shot or the interviews that they did, you know, hadn't aired because there was discussion as to what they could or couldn't do because of the lawsuit, because of some of the controversial things that had been said. Do you remember there being some hesitation like, Hey, we need it. And then somebody says, Whoa, before we do that, maybe we ought to back up and punt. Well, I think that the concern was is to, again, I don't, I don't remember anything being said about Owen, but I think that the concern was, was that people like Meltzer and Phil Mushnick and anybody else would look at it and say, okay, this is what they're trying to do, garner favor. And so you're, you're stuck in a quandary as to if we use the, you know, if we use this guy, we're bringing him in, how do you ignore that past? of his past with, with the Hart family. And I think any, any, um, what am I trying to say? Any connection, you know, with the Hart family, people were going to use that against us. 
So it was like, don't do anything and and move on. So I think a lot of it is it's just Meltzer speculation and people saying it's better to do, do nothing than do anything and then have to explain it after the fact. You know, Brett's got a column at the time and he's trashing Brett in the newspaper pretty regularly. So Davey comes out on the offensive and starts trashing Brett. And eventually this gets heated up enough to where Brett's on the phone with Diana and says something like, if I see you on the street, I'm going to run you over. I mean, this is some, some silliness here. They're back and forth, very public family feud. You know, what's Vince think of all this is Vince, you know, sympathetic to this is, is this chaos sort of good for his lawsuit situation? Does he take pride in keeping it stirred up? What's the thinking here? God, no, I, I think that it's a sad situation. I mean, all of it is sad and, and you don't want, you know, you don't want families fighting and you don't want them to be, you know, Brett was upset about a Montreal screw job that it all, it all came back to Montreal and that's what Brett was upset about. So no matter what, you know, no matter what anybody did or said, um, here, here's the question. I, and I poised this question to somebody the other day about Earl Hebner. I said, you know, do you think that, that Brett would have taken care of Earl in WCW when Brett left, if, if Earl didn't do what he was asked to do, it's the same thing with Davey. I, I don't know that Brett, you know, took care of Davey or looked after anybody else in WCW. Brett was concerned with Brett and he was concerned about the Montreal screw job. And how dare you go back to work for the guy that screwed me? In my opinion, I think that's what it all came back to. And, and it was, and they were using an unfortunate accident to, to frame, frame their feud. And I just thought it was sad. And then Vince thought it was sad. Uh, he comes back on September 9th on SmackDown and he comes out and pins Bossman in 55 seconds and wins the hardcore title. And then he just gives the belt to Al Snow and we're set for the unforgiven pay-per-view on September 26th in Charlotte draws a huge house and bulldogs in the main event, which is a six pack challenge for the vacant world title. Helmsley of course wins. Cause why wouldn't he, uh, 20 minutes and 28 seconds. I hope he pedigreed everybody. He did. That's what I would have booked. Um, three and a quarter stars. Why is bulldog in this spot so quickly? Well, again, he's, he's a big star. And I think that bulldog was somebody with the name recognition one of the reasons we want him that could slide into a top position right away. He had history with the company and you're looking for something for him to do and you want to get him into a top slot. So you put him right in there on the next SmackDown rock is the special guest referee when triple H and bulldog go to a no contest. And that gets us to the rebellion pay-per-view and where is it? Birmingham. So, you know, and this is not my Birmingham. This is y'all's Birmingham. Uh, Davy boy here is looking for McMahon and he tells him he's just gotten the shot the previous Thursday on SmackDown and he wasn't getting another one. So Smith gets so mad. He throws a garbage can advance who ducks and the garbage can hits Stephanie knocking her out. So Vince is furious. Stephanie's being carried out of the building wearing a neck brace and bulldog is refusing to apologize for the rest of the show. He pins X-Pac in five minutes and 23 seconds. Meltzer loved it. Called it a hot paced match. And even at this point, he says the crowd was 50, 50 Smith won with a power slam and reports were 
that he looked better than he has in a long time, two and a quarter stars. And of course we see bulldog later that night, uh, during the triple H rock cage match for the world title rock seemingly has the match one. And that brings Davy boy out. Shane comes out. There's a big schmoz, but bulldog is in the center of things. Um, Meltzer and Roddy looked more motivated that night or sort of insinuates that. What was it about working in Europe that brought out the best in Davy? I think because Davy was home and Davy was revered in the UK and he was looked at as, as that hero. And again, to use the modern term, he was the Hulk Hogan of the UK at that time. And people were happy. You can always get around and root for your hometown hero. And he was the home country hero. On the October 4th raw, Vince challenged Bulldog to fight him, but Bulldog walked away and later he wrestled China when a little over a minute before the DQ happened, uh, he would take on, uh, mankind and lose by DQ on SmackDown that sets up rock and mankind versus Bulldog and Venus. And this is when mankind pulled the rock sock out of Venus's trunks. Um, and then he put it back in sort of an interesting deal here, but. The weird thing here is in the ring rock, put a platter of what was supposedly dog crap from bulldogs backstage that mankind scooped onto a nice platter. And, uh, of course, Hebner selling it big time and you know, what's coming. Bulldog takes a rock bottom into dog crap. And Meltzer said, quote, remember the remark Bret Hart made in a column, not all that long ago about bulldog rolling around in shit. And being so stupid to like it, clearly that's where this idea came from. Chat me up. Is this somebody thinking this is fun to sort of fuck with Bulldog and Brett and further that feud? Because Meltzer seems like he has it nailed here. Um, yeah, I don't know that that was ever discussed. I don't know that any of Dave Meltzer's comments were ever discussed. Oh, go, Hey, let's go fuck with somebody about this. It was a bulldog and a rock. Um, this was Vince Russo's doing. And it was, you know, the, the beautiful part of it is creating dog shit. Thank you. And then it's it's working dog shit, by the way. But, so it's but not, going it's, around and, huh? It's not shoot shit. No, it's working dog shit. I, I, where do you get working dog shit? At working dog shit is us. Okay. Oh, not our us is us. No, no, it, it, it is us, and we be dog shit and shit. What's up with bulldog wearing jeans in this area? You know, uh, so many people have asked that question, and for the life of me, I don't remember because the son of a bitch looked great in trunks and looked like <laughs> uh, looked like a little baby Hulk, uh, the Green Hulk walk into the ring. I didn't get, I hated the, the jeans and the combat boots. Uh, to me, that wasn't the British bulldog. And, and I didn't think that it ever fit him at all. But, um, let me, let me just say on, on the dog shit, the dog shit was tasty though. It was good. So you, you ate shit and learned to like the taste of it. Yes. As a matter of fact, you have to do that. No mercy. October 17th in Cleveland rock pins, British bulldog. Uh, seven minutes and 20 seconds. It's written here. Rock phoned the match in match. Even with rock had no heat until the trademark moves at the finish. Bulldog took virtually all the bumps, but didn't look good. 
He had trouble with his power slam with rock, getting his legs on the ropes to break the pin finish as clean as a sheet with the rock bottom and people's elbow one star. This is it really for the bulldog. I mean, it's not his last match, but this is the end of the push. Is it not? Well, to me, you know, I, I go back to the, to just his return. And for me, I didn't feel that we had the old bulldog. I think that he was missing a step and he, he wasn't the same guy that, that had that extra oomph prior. So I, I know Vince was trying to do things with him and, and putting him in there and having the whole program with rock. But in my opinion, he was just missing a step. And then that's the reason that, that it just didn't go any further than that. You know, what's up when the next night on raw test beat bulldog by DQ, when the main street posse interferes, um, a f- the following week, bulldog beat test in a steel cage. The next day, bulldog beat Delo to win the European title. At this point, does the European title mean a fucking thing? No. And, and I think that it, it was, it was devalued pretty damn quickly again, because the European championship outside of Europe, what does it mean? Right. What does it mean defending the title in Huntsville, Alabama, the European championship? Do you care? Nope. Okay. That's what they quickly found out. Survivor series, 1999 in Detroit. Um, Pretty weird match here. Val Venus, Mark Henry, Gangrel, and Steve Blackman beat the British Bulldog, Rodney, Pete Gass, and Joey Abs. Uh, in the end, the match gets a quarter star. Sort of a throwaway deal here. The next night on Raw, Big Show beat Bulldog in 34 seconds to retain the world title. And uh, a couple of days later, Bulldog would beat Godfather to retain the European title. <laughs> He's working with too cool tagging with Val Venus on November 22nd. We can really fucking feel him sliding here. December 12th in Fort Lauderdale is Armageddon. And we would see Val Venus win the European title over D'Lo Brown and the British bulldog Meltzer fucking hated this. And he says, I mean, he critiques the entire match, but he gives it a negative half a star. Why, why was the title taken off here? Did you guys not have confidence in his work? Was it time to try something new and go with Val or what's the thinking here? The wheels were falling off the bus and and we just saw it and we had to make a change. So yeah, uh, new, new, uh, fresh paint of coat. There you go. Let's get to Royal rumble 2000, January 23rd, MSG. Uh, we're not talking about it here, but if you're looking for something to watch this week, man, go watch that triple H mankind match or cactus Jack match. It's one of my favorites. Those fuckers tore it up. Uh, bulldog enters the rumble at match number 11. He's a part of the elimination of Rikishi. And then he himself is eliminated by uh, road dog. And then on February 21st, uh, he tags with Kurt angle to beat Jericho in China. And that's his last match until may. Now there's a rumor that, uh, he nearly swallowed his tongue and nearly died and is sent back to rehab for an addiction to painkillers, morphine, sleeping pills, muscle relaxant, muscle relaxants. He's just in a bad way here. What can you tell us what happened to uh, him after February? We don't see him again till May. Well, this was a really sad time and this, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that Davey was one of the guys that had brought 
Brian to our attention, Brian Pillman, that, that maybe he had fallen off the wagon. And Bulldog, during this time, was going through a really rough patch and had a hell of a dependency on pills and whatever the hell else he was on. And he showed up in Nashville, uh, not in a good way, and obviously on something. And we had to, myself and Jim Ross had to take Davey Boy down and sit him in the locker room. And, and it's tough when someone is in that state to have a conversation with them because when you're in that state, and I've been there, so I ain't throwing stones, uh, you don't see it. You know, you're like, no, I'm fine. What the hell are you talking about? And you're slurring your words and drooling and everything else. And Davey was not in a good way. And we told him right then that he needed to go to rehab. Um, and when he got out of rehab, rehab, there would be a job for him. But if he didn't go to rehab, he didn't have a job. So he said, okay, I'll go to rehab after the tourist said, no, you, you got to go tonight. You got to go right now. And we had, we had someone take him to the airport right there and sent him to Tampa and had Dan Spivey meet him at the airport. I believe it was Dan, uh, meet him at the airport and take him to rehab that night. But he was in a bad way and, and it was, it was tough to watch and it was tough to have that conversation with him because, uh, he was really upset and he didn't want to, you know, didn't want to have to tell his family and everything, but that's what happened. Okay. Let's talk about, um, his return May 6th in London. It's insurrection. It's overseas. He beats crash Holly to win the hardcore title. So he's, he's brought back from, you know, $75,000 rehab allegedly in Atlanta that Vince pays for. And, He's winning the hardcore title in England. I mean, that's got to be his highest and best use. You can't ask for a much better return than that, can you? Yeah, I mean, it was in his home country, and let's try and do something. So um, it was an attempt, and we wanted to see what the hell we had. Crash would win the title back at the May 9th tapings. Uh, and then this is what he's doing. Bulldog beat Joey abs on heat on the 16th on the 22nd on jacked. He beat Midian. He's back on heat a week later when he goes to a double DQ with Eddie Guerrero. And the last match in the WWF is in Calgary, May 27th. He beat Steve Blackman on a house show. He wouldn't wrestle again until May 10th, 2002. He teamed with his son, Harry here. And his last match ever would be the very next day on May 11th. He teamed with his son, Harry and Zach Mercury to beat Robbie Royce, the ax and JT Brat. Let's go back though. What do you think? May 27th, 2000. Um, He's out of here. What happened that led to him ultimately leaving the company? I think that basically Davey had a hard time on the road and, and wasn't able to, to really cope on the road. And everybody felt that he needed to get some time away from the business and he needed to, to get his, to get his head straight and get his body straight. And the door was open. I mean, the door was open for him to come back, but he needed, he needed to be the old bulldog. He wasn't happy. And everybody knew it. 
So it, it just it wasn't working after the rehab stint. Everybody, it was a mutual deal. I mean, everybody came to came to terms, and he left the company. But the idea was for him to kind of leave and get his stuff together, and that door was open if he wanted to come back, and he was in the right frame of mind. Let's talk about the end, man. This sucks. Um, a week after he has that match with his son on May 11th, he passes away on May 18th. He suffers a heart attack in British Columbia and an autopsy would reveal that anabolic steroids may have played a role in his death, but no reason was given. What was your reaction when you heard about his passing? You know, absolute sadness because we, you know, you try and keep tabs on people and just to see how they're doing and everything. Uh, one of the things that we were definitely keeping tabs on was, was Harry, his son, just to see how the hell he's doing and hoping that maybe with Harry entering the business, that would be motivation for Davey to get, get on track and come back. And we, and we had heard reports from our end that Davey was doing well and that he was looking great and he was working out with his son and, and doing all of these things in a positive light. And then you hear the news that all of a sudden he's gone and it's just sad because all the things go through your mind. It's like, Oh, you know, was it, was it drugs? Was it this? Was it that? And anytime that somebody leaves way too soon like that, you, you got to think of their family and he, he's got beautiful children and it's just, it just sucked. It just sucked because it was just way too soon. Um, Dave, Davey was, is God only a couple months older than I am. And so you always put that in perspective when you look at it and go, man, the guy's my age. And, and he was just gone too soon. And, and it was tragic because again, I, we all were hoping that maybe Harry being in the business and Davey having the opportunity to maybe go tour with his son and be the one to teach his son the business out on the road every night. That could be the thing that, that brings him brings him back into the business in a positive light. And unfortunately, we, we didn't get to see that. And, you know, Harry is is one of those guys that you know, he, he went through the WWE developmental, but for whatever reason, you know, that didn't work out. And he did the new heart foundation thing with Tyson kid, but good God, I saw him. I've seen him on several independents. Holy shit. I don't, I don't get what's holding him back. Cause he's a big, good looking bastard and can go in the ring. So it's that, that's kind of a conundrum. I, I don't know what the holdup there is on him. Do you think that, um, the British bulldog, should have already been in the hall of fame. Do you think they're going to wait? Uh, and, and, you know, I've got a theory that's not popular, but I don't believe that Vince wants to see a wheelchair on the stage. And I think he'll wait until Tom Billington passes away and then he'll put the bulldogs in together. Your thoughts. Uh, I, I don't think that I, I think that, uh, Davey will go in as a single. And I think that he deserves to go in as a single. I think that his career was so much more than that tag team. And I think that the majority of the people 
remember him as the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith. You don't think um, Dynamite Kid will go in? No, I don't. Wow. How about that? Well, send your hay tweets to at Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, let's get to some questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Uh, Aid wants to know, was Davey ever considered to become a WWF champion or was he only ever going to get as high as the Intercontinental? He was in the discussions on the what if conversations, but no, he was never seriously considered to be a champion. Uh, Damon wants to know were bulldog and Owen, the best team of the nineties or just top five. Definitely top five. Uh, Michael wants to know how did Jacques get along with Davey when he returned to the WWF and Jacques was the Mountie, you know, Jacques, look, uh, Davey got along with Jacques just fine. I think that the, you know, the rub there was dynamite kid. Yeah, that makes sense. Michael wants to know, uh, was Davey any different after returning without the dynamite kid or was he the same bully he was with dynamite around? No, I think Davey was definitely different when he got away from Dynamite and he was out on his own. And, you know, I never really saw Davey as a bully. Dynamite, yes, but I never really saw Davey as a bully. Uh, Lee wants to know, any fun stories or ribs on the road involving Matilda? There, There are famous stories of, you know, the British Bulldogs sort of shooting guys up with air and them shooting steroids into Matilda. You got any interesting Matilda stories you can share with us or any sort of needle stories from the guys. No, I don't have any needle stories from the guys. Uh, and I think a lot of that is just legend and, and bullshit and people talking. Uh, but as, as far as Matilda, her diet was absolutely God awful because the boys would feed her arena, hot dogs and, and chili dogs and shit. And then she would shit all over the place and it was absolutely disgusting. And they would just kind of take Matilda shit and leave it in fun places. <laughs> I don't know what to say here. Nate wants to know how did Davey feel about losing the HBK in every title situation in the fall of 92, we lost the intercontinental title to him. In the 95 Rumble, he was last eliminated by HBK. In 96, he challenged and lost the world championship matches against Sean. In summer of 97, he and Austin lost the tag titles. In the fall of 97, he lost the European title to him. Did anybody else in the company notice this? Uh, I think you're the only one, Nate. Oh, my gosh. Jason wants to know. What were the post WrestleMania 13 plans for Owen and the bulldog had the fans not turned Brett heel, thus forming the heart foundation. It seems like they were headed for a big split in the feud before that happened. No, the, the idea always was to make that big heart foundation and to tease the splitting up and bring them all back together. Kevin wants to know, is there any truth to the rumor that he was supposed to wrestle Mr. Perfect at SummerSlam 90, but he had issues with his work visa. So Kevin or Carrie Von Eric was chosen instead. No, there's no truth to that rumor. <laughs> Antonio wants to know they fired him for steroids yet rehired him when he was clearly on them and big as ever. Why is that? Uh, is Antonio a doctor and actually saw his tests and everything? I, again, that's Ron you're, wants you're to know what were some of Davy's best ribs? The, uh, the pork ribs in Omaha were probably some of Davey's best ribs. You know, Dave, Davey, I think one of the funniest 
things that ever happened was one of the referees got their eyebrows shaved and, and part of their head shaved. And there were pictures of it. And when confronted with the pictures and, and he was confronted with it first, go, Hey, Davey, did you shave the referee's eyebrows and head? I wasn't even there. No, it wasn't me. It was fucking Owen. And so showed him one picture and he's like, see, that's not me. I wasn't even there. And then showed him another picture. And as the pictures progress, you, you see the hand. And then he says, that's not my hand. That's Owen. And then as it gets out, the arm gets bigger and bigger. And he keeps telling us that it's Owen. And then you get to the last picture and it's Davey with the razor actually doing the shaving. It's like, that fucking Owen. He got the camera and he put me in it. That's not fucking me. I swear. So even in confronted with photographic evidence, he would still deny it. You know, if there was any sort of reconciliation with dynamite before his death, I don't think there was, I, I, I never heard that there was any kind of reconciliation at all. David wants to know, was Diana uh, ever considered for a more prominent role on TV? Yes. We tried to do a more prominent role with Diana, but they didn't want to do it. Uh, why weren't bulldog and Owen given an official tag team name? I didn't know there were official tag team names, the rockers, the midnight express. What's wrong with Owen and, and bulldog? I like that one. Okay. We could call them Marty and Sean now coming to the ring. Hawk and animal. Yeah. <laughs> um, Martin wants to know how long was Vince trying to get bulldog to cut his hair before he finally gave in and did it. And was it a stipulation of bringing him back? No, it was not a stipulation of bringing him back, but it was something that Vincent wanted to do to change his look up and clean him up. Um, let's talk about this. Graham wants to know, did he really flick dynamite kids lit cigarettes in the Jake, the snake bag? So the snake would bite Jake. I have no idea. never saw that. Thomas wants to know in the greatest wrestlers of nineties DVD, Almost all the matches have the bulldog in it, but he himself isn't mentioned much. How highly rated was he with the boys and the office as far as being an in-ring performer? Uh, Davey, Davey was always put in the position that he was put in because of his work and he could work with anybody. And he was a hell of a performer. Josh wants to know, did Davey think that the finish of the 95 rumble made him look stupid? Why is that? Robert Why would it make know, him look stupid? Robert wants to know, given the success of Davy boy after the British bulldog tag team, would Davy be considered the Sean Michaels of the team and dynamite the Marty Jannetty? I think that's a very fair comparison. Yes. Robin wants to know where do the British bulldogs rank in top tag teams? I already answered this top five. Well, I think he was talking about Owen. This is the British oh. bulldogs. Okay. British Bulldogs. <laughs> top five. Definitely. Scott wants to know. I've always wondered why he was uh, billed from Leeds, England in the early nineties. And then later billed from Manchester, England, because they had shows in Manchester. Uh, there you J go. James wants to know why wasn't, um, what was it that kept the British Bulldog from becoming world champion? I think that's really the, the question everybody wants to know. What was it? Probably timing more than anything and just, you know, not being in the right place at the right time and having other guys in front of him. I don't know. There was there any one thing. It's just timing. Hypothetically, if it wouldn't have happened the way it did, 
would Davey have been an agent with the company? Do you think? I don't know that Davey had that, that knack for finishes and in, in business. So I don't think that, that Davey would have fit in that role very well. Well, hopefully you're going to fit in the role of grilling Bruce. We're asking you to ask the questions next week. It's a hashtag love to know episode, which we haven't done in a long, long time. You can ask questions right now on Facebook or Twitter. You know what to do. Go to facebook.com forward slash something to wrestle or check us out at Pritchard show. Uh, but I guess we should go ahead and tell everybody that we're doing a poll the following week. Uh, we're going to sort of go old school, maybe the new generation, maybe some 94, 95 era guys. We haven't talked about before. Let's just freestyle this one, Bruce. I'll go first poll topic. Number one, Bob Backlund. I think it would be cool to examine Bob Backlund. We, uh, sort of touched on him a little bit here, but he was a big part of those years. Give us another member here. What would be poll topic? Number two. How about Yokozuna? Man, I've been wanting Yoko to win for a long time. Count me in on a Yoko episode. Um, I like the idea of that. Poll topic number three. And this is one that we haven't ever really even touched on, but you know who you are. Bob Holly. I got an idea. Let's put Bob on the poll. He's going to be poll topic number three. And go ahead and give us one last one. All right. I'm, I'm really, I'm really kind of torn here between can i give you two of them and then you pick sure savio vega and tatanka i'm real i was really hoping you'd say tatanka we're going to tatanka so we're going i guess uh what would we call this unsung heroes i mean yokozuna was a world champion bob backland was a world champion bob holly had a great idea tatanka went on one hell of an undefeated streak now we're going to see who goes, who's going to win boys and girls go vote right now these polls are going to be live and active, and we're going to bring it to you week after next. So buckle up, boys and girls. It's coming your way on June 1st. What do you want? Bob Backlund, Yokozuna, Bob Holly, Tatanka. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Go vote right now. You'll be glad you did. It's at Pritchard Show. The poll is live and only on Twitter. Uh, he is at Bruce Pritchard. I am at Hey Hey, it's Conrad, and we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here for hashtag love to know Bruce, do you want to give everybody a heads up about what we're doing on the WWE network next Wednesday? Well, one of our most controversial topics, and I'm sure we're going to get a lot of love and hate from this bro. We're going to hit Vince Russo on the WWE network next week. <sighs> Let's get Twitter ready. Here we go. Let's get Russo ready. Hell. I feel like it's about this time every year. It was about a year ago that we had the whole St. Louis thing with the live show. I I don't know. I guess I guess this is that time of year, bro. Let's do it. He's at Bruce Preacher. I'm at Hey Hey, it's Conrad, and we are out of time. See you next week right here on Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs>
Those Weekend Golf Guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.